Your Honor, that man deserves a restraining order. His antics are absolutely unforgivable. All I did was follow you around all day and bang on your door all night because you wouldn't be my friend. What's so wrong about that? Defendant Russell, you will speak when spoken to and not before. Oh man, I still don't understand half the stuff you're talking about. Jack, man, you need to remember to keep quiet so your brilliant lawyer can actually defend you. Jack Russell, you dog, how dare you follow me into the woman's bathroom and bang on the door? Well, I wasn't sure you were in there. I do know people who teleport. How could I be sure you don't? Defendant Russell, hold your tongue until addressed by the court. Really, Jack, just stay still for a little while. Got this covered. Well, Your Honor, there's no reason to question this little punk is guilty. He kicked me while I was mixing a potion and caused half the magic lab to blow up for crying out loud. He kept me talking on the street for two hours until I missed every appointment I had that day. That jerk needs incarceration so nobody else has to suffer. Objection! Hold it! Take that! As you can see, citizens of the jury, I have just presented evidence that Jack Russell was doing these horrible things. Because his mother's ghost was taking over his consciousness and wanted to spite the living! Most as you say, I really don't see how this can possibly be acceptable! What was that? I hired professionals to remove that nasty goat in front of, ghost in front of this court so that no one can doubt Jack's innocence. I see it, but I don't believe it. How can I press charges against the dead? Ew! She got ectoplasm all over me. This must be because I didn't eat my broccoli as a kid. Mom's always talking about that. OBJECTION! <laughs> Strap on your swords, ready your spells. You're about to enter the heart of a dungeon filled with computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up through yesteryear. To get you through this maze that's dripping with danger, we've gathered the best men and women from RP Gamer to watch your back. Some of you have never entered this area before. You're in for quite a fight. For others, this return visit can only be described as an RPG backtrack. And here are the party leaders for this expedition, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 53, Kickin' Jack Russell. I'm your host, Phil Willis made us sound like a garbage truck falling off the Empire State Building. And the man with the quotes is Mr. Mike Meeky. How are you doing this week? It's pretty good, I'd have to say. Well, that's good. That's good. We got some new friends with us this week, don't we? Well, we've had Adrian here before. It's just been a while. Yeah, but he feels new. He smells new. Ah, uh, I need an adult. New person. <laughs> that sounds horribly dirty. <laughs> Well, I wanted to get the new person jokes out on him, because if I did it to our next person, it might be taken as... Sexual harassment? Right, thank you. What, it doesn't <laughs> count when it's done to me? No, Nobody it's... cares about your feelings. Yeah, no one cares. Yeah, it's alright. Uh, so we have with us today Miss Chloe Hong Kong or something? Chloe Kong. Okay. So, so sexual harassment's not okay, but racism is... <laughs> No, no, it's not okay either. I wasn't expecting that. Actually, actually, no, no, no. I've got the golden banner of protection on this one. See, my wife is Chinese. I can make jokes about it all I want, and if anybody has a problem with it, I just say, look, I'm married. Good for you. Yay! So I can't be racist. Um, 
<laughs> See, logic is flawless. You can't. And speaking of racism, it's Miss Sam Marshmallow. How do I fit into the equation of racism? Well, because... Uh, because ra- marshmallows have been discriminated against for so many centuries, and they still are. People, did, people are more comfortable eating them than treating them equally. I guess I'm implying that because you're Caucasian, you're as white as a marshmallow. Actually, I'm olive-skinned and Italian. Feel the prejudice. It rolls. But I'm Italian. <laughs> That's far from pasty like marshmallow. All right, fine, Sam Spaghetti. All right. <laughs> well, if I'm you're gonna go cry in a corner. If you're Italian, then you have to do an Italian accent for us. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't really care about the whole discrimination thing, but the lawyers did say I have to mention everyone's name. Do we actually say the what's-his-face's name? Adrian Dainauden. Yeah, okay, thank you. All right, we're covered. Hey, you pronounced it right this time. Well, that's because Minky said it. Had I said it, it would have been butchered. <laughs> it would have been doohickey again. Yep, Adrian did doohickey. <laughs> It's an awesome name, Adrian Day Doohickey. That is so. You know, I'm doing the Pathfinder two Pathfinder campaigns. I am so going to put that in as a character. <laughs> we want to talk to the governor. I'm Governor Adrian Day Doohickey. What can I help you fine heroes with today? Yeah, I like that. that. That's got a ring to it. That rolls off the tongue. And well, you know, as long as he's a character of importance. And, you know, but the problem is with with, with me and Pathfinder uh, these these pen and paper games. I can never actually remember all the NPCs' names. Uh, I'm just terrible at writing them all out ahead of time. But Adrian Dendouhiki, I can't forget that. That's awesome. <laughs> Phil, do yes. you have a Wookiee that gives hover bikes to needy children? Because that would rock too. Ooh, cool. I did that once as, because I couldn't figure out what to do with my money in the Star Wars role-playing game. As uh, uh, Chloe or Chloe goes and hides in the corner, holding onto her security blanket after listening to the crazy people on RPG Backtrack. Most definitely. <laughs> it's just another. Uh, it's just another day in paradise here at RPG Backtrack, uh, Miss Chloe. Just put on your seatbelt, hold on tight, and enjoy the ride. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the. Forewarning. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, they're actually. I'm actually going to be behave, and I'm going to be a good boy for like the next 60 minutes or so because I don't have too much to talk about on our first game. We're going to be discussing is our main well, event. Phil, Phil, Chloe's never been on here before. You have to give her the standard grilling, don't you? Oh, <gasps> you're right. It's been so long since we had fresh blood. I mean, a, a, a new person on the show. <laughs> I got we got questions for new person. You ready, Miss Chloe? You ready for your battery of questions? Sure, go for it. Alrighty. So what's your handle on RP Gamer and what do you do? My handle on RP Gamer is Vari and I translate and I and I occasionally write articles or contribute to columns. Cool. What what uh, I'm guessing you translate from Japanese since that's usually our biggest need? Yes, I every night I go on those Japanese news sites and find random Japanese RPG articles to translate. Cool. Granted, they're not popular enough for other sites to translate them first. Ah, cool. And uh, why don't you give our audience a brief overview of your gaming history, like what, uh, you know, what got you into RPGs? Actually, I wrote that in Sam's latest feature, that memory lane. I grew up playing games, video games with my dad, and we still play RPGs together now. <laughs> What was the first one that you remember uh, being the most memorable game that you played together with them? Probably Final Fantasy VII, although we did uh, Zelda Link to the Past. 
but that wasn't very enjoyable. Or that's my opinion, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You'll fit right in. Um, and what was what's what would you say is your favorite RPG of all time? That's really hard to say. I, I don't have one. Maybe there's several. Radiata Stories is actually one of them. Ah. Or Radiata Stories, or however, however you pronounce the name. Well, normally I would follow up and ask you what uh, what particular qualities of that game really stuck out in your mind, but we can save that for the main event since that's what we're going to be discussing today. Any any uh, other big RPGs that stick out to you that you just really love and adore and want to go back and play again sometime? At this moment, no. I'm just looking forward to new ones. Ah. Skyrim. Ah, Skyrim. Good choice. Cool. Well, it's a it's a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, we don't want to hold you. Uh, we don't want to hold you from spewing forth lots of love over Radiata stories. So we're going to take just a small, teeny tiny musical break while our audience listens to some music soundtrack from Radiata stories, and we'll be right back. Oh, and then after that, I almost forgot to mention we'll also be talking about League of Legends as our blast from the recent past selection for today. So hold on tight. We got a great show ahead for you. Talking about Radiata stories, Mr. Minky, is this like the only good Tri-Ace game there is, or there's this is the second one? Uh, obviously, Third we one? are forgetting Valkyrie Profile. Miss Marcello would be quick to remind us. It's one of four good Tri-Ace games. Ah, wait, so each one of these four Tri-Ace games gets its own show, but Zelda gets all crammed into one show? Oh, two of them no, are no, no. titles. I was going to say, Star Ocean. Oh, it, Phil. I'm going to scrub every single Zelda game that we haven't done into the next Zelda show, and you're going to like it. I know I'm going to like it. <laughs> we are talking tonight... What, two minutes per game? <laughs> yeah. We're talking tonight about Radiata, Radiata, whatever you want to pronounce that, stories. For, Radiata stories. There you go. For your PlayStation 2, as we mentioned, it is developed by uh, Tri-Ace. Um, this was released here in North America on September the 6th, 2005. This it's is exactly the sixth anniversary of its release. Wait, yes, it does, as of the day of the recording. This is a, this is a single player action RPG experience rated T for terrific, right? Yes. Okay, Mr. Minky, why don't you start off by telling us how terrific the story is? Well, the story begins with young Jack Russell going to the castle of Radiata. Radiata, see, I'm, I'm going to be doing that all night, so just get used to it. Where he is going to undertake the trial to become a knight. Unfortunately, Mr. Russell didn't quite train hard enough before he came into this proceeding because he promptly gets his butt spanked by one Ridley Silverlake. 
However, Lord Larks, the premier Chamberlain, I can't remember what his title is, of Ready at a Castle, takes pity on the guy, mostly because his father was a renowned knight of his own, and puts him in, and what do you know? He's in the same squad, he's in the same brigade with little Ridley, who beat him so soundly into the ground in the knighthood trials. And how are they going to get along? Why, it's going to be wacky! For a little while, anyway. But then Ridley almost dies from an orc attack, and things get a little more serious. And I will let someone else take it from this point, because obviously my take on the story is a little slanted. Gans! He's so cute! He's their squad leader! And he's all fat and chunky and and cuddly, and who cares about the rest of the characters? I liked him. (laughs) Talk about him, he's better. The the leader of the Rose Cochon Brigade, or Pink Pig. He's so cute! Sorry, I'm getting all like squealy, but the reality is, is that Jack kind of drove me crazy. But Gans Jack is, is so awesome. Cute. I love Jack. He's hilarious. Oh, I love him too. It's just one of those like, <laughs> oh, honey, I'm going to pet you and then I'm going to smack you a couple times and I'm going to pet you again. That, that's well, how I felt about him. What's What's great about Rowdy Out of Story is that it, it's it's stupid. It's deliberately as stupid as and cliched as it possibly can be. Jack is the dumbest hero you could possibly have in a game. Outside but of Lloyd? <laughs> he's dumber than Lloyd. He, he makes he makes Lloyd look like a Mensa cad- candidate. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's just. But it it works because it's it's just so charming. It doesn't take itself seriously for a moment. It, even when it's serious, it's still charming and cute. It, it's just a fun story with lots of genre jokes, parodies, little musical trills like a cartoon show. That's actually one of my favorite parts about the game is the little musical trills they throw in every now and then. It, I, th- it, I think Jack's most common line in the game is, uh, I, I didn't really understand what you just talked about. Jack doesn't then he, listen most then, of the he, time. then he follows it up, but but that means I can beat it up, right? <laughs> yep. He, he's very uh, endearing for the most part. I mean, as much as he's dumb as a stick, he's kind of cute in that he just, his logic is he wants to beat the crap out of everything. And most of the time, you just let him do it anyways. I mean, how many times did you often go up to an NPC and just kick them for fun and then run away? <laughs> I know I did it all the time. It's just like, he- kick, <laughs> run away. <laughs> And despite his stupidity, you can't deny that he's got a good heart as well. Like he's he's he cares about his his city and his world and the other characters, and it becomes apparent throughout the game. It's it's one of uh, the the whole thing that goes on between Jack and Ridley in the game is actually one of my favorite game romances. I think it's one of the best I've seen. You know what? Jack just has such great intentions. I mean, even just he always wants to help people. He he wants to make a difference. And to his credit, I mean, it's it's very endearing. At the same time. He's not very good about thinking ahead of anything, which is where Ridley comes in. I mean, Ridley is all about thinking ahead. She's very methodical. Everything is well calculated with her. So it's fun to see the two of them kind of when they butt heads because, you know, Jack is so impulsive and and Ridley, she's just, she looks and thinks, why are you being so stupid? Like, can't you just listen to me for a change of pace? And Jack pulls the, well, I'm the man card. And then it usually (laughs) divulges into like, I'm going to beat the living snot out of you again. Would you like me to do it again? And Jack going no thank you <laughs> but i think their romance is really cute like i know that you know when i play ridley she really does see the good in jack as much as he's very frustrating and you can see the frustration on her face she loves him for just the fact that it's he he means so well with everything he does even if he's not the best at showing it so they're and quite as the game goes on he does express that his mission especially on the non-human side of the story is he's going to protect her that's his sole concern really probably because he doesn't really understand the globe the worst shaking events that are taking place around him but he's going to protect ridley no matter what 
Yeah, that really is the core of the story there, is that he's going to protect Thirdly no matter what, even though all these crazy things are happening. He doesn't understand a lick of it. So you mean that you mean that humans have been uh, doing bad things, but the non-humans are trying to fight us? I don't really get it. Can I fight something? <laughs> you know what? I, I always give Trice credit where credit's due. If there's one thing they can oddly do, it's write romances. <laughs> and I've, oh, I've, sometimes. sometimes. No, no, I'm referring to the fact that Valkyrie Profile is a perfect example of writing a very tragic romance. And then what they've done here in Radiata Stories is you've got this very... Um, it's very childlike, it's very naive, and it's very sweet. And both are written very well. Um, it's partially why I love Radietta stories and why I have trouble with, for example, the Star Ocean series. Some of the romances in Star Ocean are particularly wishy-washy and kind of silly. But Well, they're all particularly wishy-washy <laughs> and kind of silly. God, God, no, I know, I know. Um, but, you know, when you look at Radiata stories, what makes Ridley and Jack kind of a wonderful couple is just there's a, there is a childlike innocence to them. It's that, that first love, first crush, and you just, you, you get so involved in it, you get frustrated with it, and you just, you want to be a part of it every second. You're not sure why you want to be a part of it every Every second but love makes you do stupid things and jack is exemplifies that idea of love makes you stupid so i i appreciate that type of of romance that you see in the story uh i think you're giving him a bit too much credit i'm pretty sure it's not the love that makes him stupid <laughs> hey 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 hey! he's mostly stupid but you know he, I, I don't know i'm giving him more credit than he's probably deserves but it's because i I do see him as very endearing for the most part. I and I think with the non-human side, which I unfortunately didn't do, but I've I've seen the ending for. I I do see that you know his idea of wanting to protect Ridley is very you know all about that whole idea of love makes you stupid. He's not sure why he needs to do it, but love is unex you know it's not something you can easily explain to somebody, and I don't think Ridley entirely understands why he's doing it either. I don't know, but I don't really like Ridley in the game. I found her quite annoying, and I don't really agree with the whole romance thing between the two. Although there is a romance, but I don't think it's the ideal romance. <laughs> well, it's oh, childish. It's pretty childish. It's there's, there's. I don't think there's anything ideal about it. Like, if I sounded like I was saying it's ideal, I, I'm not suggesting that. There's just something very childlike and very naive about it. Is it a perfect romance? No, Valkyrie Profile did that perfectly. Um, I think it's there. It, I mean, I'm not huge on it because, like I said, I didn't see the the uh, non-human path, so I didn't actually really get to experience a lot of that. I'm just going based off of like what I saw when I was playing it. I've only yeah, done the human side. The non-human path is the non-human path is definitely where it starts to shine, uh, mainly because Jack and Ridley are completely involved in that path, and uh, it's also got the uh, the, be the better ending, the the ending where that doesn't end in tragedy. In other words, yeah, uh, Dream, we're all about spoilers here. We can tell people. <laughs> In other okay, words, yeah. she dies in the human side, and she doesn't die in the non-human side. See, I just did a terrible spoiler with absolutely no preparation whatsoever, because I'm mean. Well done. Yeah, I mean, we actually have applied for the trademark for spoilers, just so that we have exclusive rights to spoil every game on the RPG Backtrack. It's awesome. Well, there's, there's also an, there's another side to the story that we haven't really discussed as well uh, involving Jack. It's that he's trying to live up to his father's name as well, and you see that especially in the uh, in the non-human side as well uh, when he uh, runs into Gawain and the two of them go off on their little trip to the uh, I think it was the Black Goblin lair. It's been a while since I played the non-human story. Yeah, it's the Black Goblins where the Black Goblins pretty much sit around and eat toadstools all day and see trippy things. <laughs> 
And Gawain, incidentally, is Gans's father, which plays into the rest of the plot pretty pretty importantly. Cool. You know, while this whole game is uh, is about Jack, Gans has his own kind of side story in the game that's pretty cute to watch. Um, I mean, he gets thrown out of being a ratty at a night. At the same time, Jack does. At the same time, Jack does, and he ends up taking up a life of crime. He's not very (laughs) good at it, of course. Because of the orc attack, which Ridley's father, being an aristocrat, strongly disapproves of, and his reaction is to assign blame to someone for letting it happen, so it had to be, obviously, those idiots she was with in the brigade. Get rid of them. And for some reason, another female knight named Natalie absolutely worships Ridley's father, even though he looks like he's permanently wearing a clown mask. So... Clearly, she has some interesting standards of uh, beauty. Oh, God. He really does look like he's wearing a clown mask. There's a lot of characters that have very strange designs. The character designs in Radiata stories are really well done. Yep, I agree. Aw. But going on, go, sorry, going on to Gantz again. Uh, His life of crime was so cute, and he got to wear a Constantine outfit. That that like, was the best part. It's it, that little Star Ocean Two reference, the the cloud outfit. That's just. I I just <laughs> thought it was so funny because the first time that you know he enters the the thieves guild, they're like, okay, you need to go pickpocket from that person, and he's looking, he's going, I can't do that. <laughs> And he throws like an absolute tizzy over it because he just, he's such a, a very lawful with person with such good intentions. So the idea of, of him actually going into a life of crime is, it's really funny just to watch the way that he gets flustered and stuff. Like, that's partially why I loved him. He, he was probably by far one of the most honest characters in that game because to him, you know, he thought his world was completely over. So he tries to fix it by doing something that he thinks is like Robin Hood-esque. But he has an amazing <laughs> accent. Oh god, yes. <laughs> It's just he's he's very sweet. I I think you simply must get along. Please don't make me break up another fisticuffs shenanigans. (laughs) He's he's just he's so sweet and. It was hard not to love him when you're playing the game, just because his predicaments are, are just, they're so ridiculous. Incidentally, his father, Gawain, has one of the largest mohawks I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's true. Great, so either the guy has been dyeing his hair or natural hair color just stays in that family. Who knows? Uh, uh, and, okay, well, Gans joins a couple of other thieves named uh, Rinka and Flau, which who are members of the Void community, which just brings to mind the enormous number of NPCs in the game and how they're pretty much running around doing their own thing all the time instead of standing around waiting for you to talk to them. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the, the biggest draw for the game, beyond the story, beyond the gameplay, is the fact that there's, like, 200-plus NPCs running around the town most of which you can recruit onto your into your party and they all they're all unique characters with their own designs they all have their own personalities fully fleshed out and they all go about their own daily routine over a 24 hour cycle and you can follow them around the city and see where they go and some of it is just absolutely ridiculous some of the things they do yeah, I liked Miranda just zooming around town looking for her master Godwin half the day. <laughs> yeah, that that's an entertaining little story. One of my favorites is uh, Gerald. He's one of the uh, lieutenants in the Vancor Guild, and you uh, you end up teaming up with him for a short period of time uh, during the game. But if you follow him around, he and his entire squadron go into the bar and get completely wasted. One of the one of the guys passes out at the table. The rest of them leave him there, and then a few hours later, the guy wakes up and leaves as well. 
One of one of my favorites to follow around was um Daniel. He's the one with the crocodile, right? Yeah. The yeah. crocogator. The crocogator. Yeah. <laughs> Just because like he'd take him around, it's like, okay, her and I are going out for a walk now. And you watch him walk, the crocogator. Um, <laughs> or you see him go to the fountain where he puts the crocogator in it. And they're playing and I just thought he was so strange. <laughs> and everything was about this crocogator. Like you 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 couldn't talk to him about anything else. It's like she's perfect in every way. She's also very creepy. She's perfect. <laughs> I like I liked Daniel quite a bit. And what's um Daniel has another character that that's usually with him, like a friend, and I can never Jarvis? remember his name. Yes, yeah, Jarvis. Jarvis, who you Which initially is- meet before Jack has joined the Guild of Warriors when he falls out of the bar, super super drunk, and gets into a fight with Jack, which you have to beat him up during. Oh yeah, great way to introduce your sergeant. Now I remember. Also, Jarvis appears to have an axe on his helmet, which must make getting through doorways hard. <laughs> Another character oh. I liked looking at was uh, Eon, a member of the Void community. Who Yes, I was actually thinking of him as well. If you talk to him before you recruit him, then he'll say things like, Today's target is over there. <laughs> well, I thought the best part about Eon wasn't all the little things he said and stuff like that. But if you if you manage to keep following him, eventually he ends up in this basement in the, in the Void community. And he's got a bunch of pet rats he's feeding. Yeah, and that's the way you recruit him, by getting rat medicine eventually. Yeah. I should have used him in battle, but by that point I was way over-leveled him. My favorite character to follow is um, Alvin. I forgot which guild he's in. He's one of those monks the from the monk, church. Right? Pardon me? The warrior monk, right? Yeah, he exercises near a, a street light at night. He has a little chipmunk face. He's blonde. I just found him really cute and funny how he just randomly exercises for no reason at night. Funny you'd say chipmunk face when he has the name Alvin. (laughs) It's suitable for him. And when you talk to him, he'll mostly talk about how he's a warrior of justice and he's going to right the wrongs around the world and undo evil and all that fiery stuff. Some of the characters I, I like falling around. So, some of the characters I really like falling around with the kids. The the I think there's like six or seven children in in the game, and they all have their own routines as well. You can't re- obviously can't recruit them to their party, but they have their own daily routines, and uh, they go around. One of them gets lost, I think, at some point, and you have to help him find his mom. That's how you recruit Rinka. Yeah, uh, he lost uh, something of hers. I think it was a ring. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, some of the and they all go. Uh, they all go uh, for daily classes in front of the uh, the church get taught by Miranda's uh, little teacher, Godwin. The guy who apparently teleports because he just yes. pops up and out into places. And she can't seem to find, even though he's always in the same place every day teaching those children, and she can't seem to figure that out. <laughs> Once I put Miranda in my party, though, she was awesome. Oh, Miranda's a great combat character. I, I love having her in my party as well. She's, I think, the only human who can do a good healing job plus cure status ailments. Uh, not the only human. Um, actually, she's one of the better basic humans. The best one is Kane, the leader of the uh, ch- uh, the uh, oh yeah the monk guild. But, but I don't think he could cure any status ailments. Maybe I remember I was wrong. No, there. he can. He can. He's uh, he's pretty much all powerful. Okay, Chloe, were you about to say something? Oh, okay. Let's see other memorable characters. Well, there's Tony, the guy who apparently lives his entire existence in the sewer, fishing in the sewer. Yum. That guy looks very dirty. Looks like a caveman to me. And a lot of the Void community people are interesting to to watch. The other guy in the dungeon with Eon at night is a guy named Interlude, who apparently is keeping up his torture apparatus and looks like sort of a combination of Jason Voorhees and Hellraiser. He doesn't have much to say either. 
And then there's the boss of the Warrior Guild, Elwyn, who, well, apparently she just likes to go through the sewer every day to commune at a shrine of somebody she loved once upon a time. And, yeah. And if you try to fight her, she will your butt without difficulty. I loved Elwyn. Loved, loved, loved her character. She's one tough mama, though. Oh, God. I I think when I had to duel her, I had to do it a few times. She's she's not easy, especially compared to uh, Nyx. Yeah, Sam. I think you know about this uh, this Nyx character, don't you? Maybe. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've played, though. Uh, you want me to explain Nyx? I guess. <laughs> uh, so Nyx is the leader. I'm confused now. What's going on here? Anywho, uh, Nyx is the leader of the Thieves Guild. Um, and you never actually see his face up until oh. Very late in the game. Oh, I didn't hear anything that just happened, because for one minute I couldn't hear any voices or anything. Um, you meet Nyx after fulfilling some request from a older guild, um, guild member in the Void community, and he gives you entrance into Nyx's room, but it's very easy to miss that opportunity. I think um, something about gathering shooting stars or something off by a tree, I, I just I remember... He is the he is the single hardest character in the game to recruit. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> because you have to get the other three guild leaders in your party first. Yeah, and that requires getting every member of their guilds in before you can recruit them. Yeah, plus, so if you, plus you need every member of Void as well. Yeah, so if you mess yeah. up, you need to redo the game, which I did, unfortunately, when I played the game. I, I admit to using um, an FAQ for Nyx, because I didn't want to have to do that. You kind of have to if you want to get some of the characters in the game. Some of them are just so difficult to get. It's Without having an FAQ, it's so easy to miss. Yeah, and Nyx was not um, a very obvious one in some cases to uh, to get. One in particular, Gerald, just flew me, just blew me over for a while because if you don't do an event which disappears within a couple of days, then you can't get him at all. And if you don't get Gerald, you can't get everyone else in, you can't get everyone in the Warrior Guild, and that means you can never get Elwyn, and you can never get Nyx. Yep. Yeah, that both sums it up. Yeah, Gerald and Nocturne there are the the two that everyone ends up screwing up on because you have such a short window of opportunity to get them. But there's a lot of characters beyond them that are really difficult to get, like uh, Thanos in the Warrior Guild. Uh, You have to complete every single mission in order to get him. And some of the missions go away if you don't complete them in time or let the plot advance. Yep. And, of course, advancing the plot is not entirely under your control. If you go into your house to save at the wrong time, it will advance automatically. Yeah, that's just a good reason not to go home and sleep until it's after midnight, I think, because that's the only time the plot doesn't advance when you go home. Well, it's I think it's 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 a certain hour. I think it's like between 8 a.m. and or like 7 or 7 and 9 p.m. or something like that that uh it can advance in and if you go in the middle of the night, you're fine, but it, it it's a brief window in in any case. I remember uh one that threw me for a loop was the um and I don't know, remember her name offhand, but she was a ninja girl who would go into the sewers. And Lily? you had to follow her. Yeah, Lily. You had to follow her around everywhere she went. And it wasn't obvious how to get her at first. I think that one drove me ballistic for a while there because I just could not figure out how to progress. Is she the get... one who transforms in the corner? And, uh... Yeah. Yeah, that, that one was a weird one. <laughs> Is she the one who follows Elwyn into the sewers? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah and that was only, one I had trouble with. You can only fight her when she's actually watching Elwyn and thinking about the odds of actually being able to take on Elwyn, which she would lose at if she tried. 
I mean, Anytime. once I recruited her, she stayed in my party. I just, I remember how long it took me to get her. So I, I'm, I'm right, though. She is, she is the one that changes, uh, changes between two different characters depending on the time of day. No, that's, uh, that's, that's Cornelia and Rachel. Oh, different character. Okay. Okay. And she's weird. Her. I don't know. Oh, what no. Okay. Is. Lily's the imposter. That's what Lily is. Yeah. Okay. That's why I was getting confused. Yeah, Cornelia yeah. slash Rachel you get by actually watching her transform and then she makes you promise yeah. never tell anyone about this. Yeah. Okay. And Lily's the one who impersonates I think it's Jarvis or a few other people in the bar. No, that's Hertz. Damn, there's too there's too many bloody characters in this game. <laughs> Hertz wanders around and I never actually got her because I never felt like having all the people she transforms in into my party at one point. But uh, there are a bunch of fakes running around the town and you have to expose her in each and every one before she'll join you. I don't think I got that character, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, the Voyager community had some interesting characters like that. A whole lot of them, actually. Very true. Like, then there's, like, Flau is spies on you constantly. Yeah, she, every morning when you get up, she's out there looking at your residence, and she'll just say, What, me? I'm not interested in you, not at all. I'm just sitting here. <laughs> the castle has some interesting characters. I forgot the name, but there's that flamboyant knight that flirts with Jack. Charlie? Um, yes, I believe so. He has, in his profile, there's hearts coming out of his... <laughs> One of my favorite characters in the castle. You can't recruit him, but there's a dead kid in the castle haunting it, and you can talk to him. It's, it's just a ghost floating around the castle. No one can see him. He wanders about the castle day by day, and when you talk to him, he's all shocked that you can see him. I remember that. He was, he was pretty funny. I'm trying to remember who my favorite in the castle was. Well, there's Leonard, Jack's roommate for a little while, who, even though he's only 21, Jack insists on calling him Pops. For some reason, that gets him mad. And he's totally he's totally laid back, too. He, he, he talks with, like, a, a drawl. He, he doesn't seem to care about anything. He's completely lazy. I'm trying to remember now who's the one that, like, hides in the basement of the castle all the time that you'd often uh, run into. You mean the I can't keepers? remember. Yeah, the jail keepers. I liked them. I always thought they were pretty funny. Mostly because they were the worst jail keepers ever. <laughs> Don't they both take a nap at the same time, and that's how you recruit yeah. them? Yeah, they, if you recruit them both within an hour of each other, you can't get the second one, because the fact that you just spotted both of them being complete layabouts is the reason they join you, so that you'll never tell anyone. Oh, crap, you caught me drinking on the job. Well, just don't oh. tell anyone. <laughs> See, the, this game is just impressive with the amount of characters it has. It's it's amazing that you everybody's remembering as many as they can, and that's just mostly from the human side. The attention um, to detail is remarkable. Absolutely. Well, Everybody has their own lives, and you can invest yourselves in it. You well, let's talk. About, let's talk about the non-human side. Actually, let's talk about some of the characters on the non-human side because we really haven't been talking about them at all. Like uh, the the crazy the crazy ghost goblin uh, in the in the goblin area who wants one of those Sukinokos. There are two of them, actually. If you want both of them, you have to go back to the area you get the Sukinoko from and get another one. Yeah, there's two characters that want it. I know, but. Uh, and yeah, like most of the goblins, they sit around, well, the black goblins, they sit around eating fungus all day and seeing funny things. Whoa. Whoa, you've got the greatest fungus ever. Gimme, 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 gimme. And then there's that one has the rock concert every day at, at sundown just outside the uh, 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 Shangri-La city. Yep, yep. With the, I don't think it was – no, it's, there's one of them who just sells records all day and two of them who have a sort of comedy act together. <laughs> Telling jokes that make no sense whatsoever. And then there's one you can't even see what he looks like because he's just wearing a – he's tiny and he wears a giant hood. <laughs> yeah, he's just like a kindergartner in a ghost costume. Exactly, yeah. And uh, the dwarves. I love the dwarves in this game. I mean, whose idea was it to make the dwarves Russian? That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> 
Earth Valley must be fairly depleted now, but we cannot abandon our livelihoods. Yeah, For the start- elves, unfortunately, were pretty stuck up. Oh, the light elves. The, the dark yeah. elves are pretty cool. They did have their moments, yes. And there's one light elf who, if you want to recruit her, you have to race her to a tree somewhere on the map. And if you don't warp, that's not cheating because she just flew there. She's a cheater. <laughs> it's the only way to win. Yeah. And the, I think there are only two orcs you can recruit, but both of them are absolute powerhouses, even if they're not exactly the brightest bulbs in the shed. That's the unfortunate thing about the game is that the non-human side is quite unbalanced compared to the human side. The human side has all the most powerful characters. The non-human side, the characters are pretty weak. The orcs are the only ones that are comparable to the uh, the most powerful human characters. And even then, they, they lag behind. One thing I liked about having played both sides in quick succession is once you make a choice, then if you chose non-human, then you'll suddenly be fighting humans if you get close to Radiata Castle, and there'll be people you recognize. And if you chose human, then you'll be fighting non-humans you recognize in the areas where they settle. Of course, that they come was back a, every that day. That was a feature, yeah. But beating the crap out of them over and over didn't get old. <laughs> And, you know, I don't think we've actually talked much about the combat system, have we? I don't think we've discussed the gameplay at all. We've all just been talking about the vastness of Radiata. Well, we can come back to the characters just because there's so many of them. But since we're talking about beating the crap out of people, we should probably say how we do it. Okay, I guess that falls to me. Hope you kick them. <laughs> well, in combat, Jack is the only one you ever control, although he can give orders to his com- to his comrades. And he just runs around and smacks things, or he can guard and... It's not exactly the most complicated combat system, but it works. It's nice and fast, and Jack, he's easy to control. I'll give him that, except when you accidentally shift your target. That can get annoying. Did that, did that happen to anybody else, or was it just me constantly shifting my target when I only meant to move Jack? Well, you can lock tar- I lock targets constantly whenever I'm fighting. It just, it's just easier. Okay. I just run to targets and hope my attacks hit. I didn't really bother with... Well, depending on your weapon, target. you can hit multiple targets at once. Yeah. Yeah, using a spear is really good for smacking many things at once. Yeah, I generally use the spears for most of the game, too. Although then you get some super powerful swords, and they're pretty useful. Especially the one in the final area, where you, which has the side effect of death. <laughs> that is a helpful spear, yes. Or was that a great sword? That was a great sword, wasn't it? I think it was. They, they classify them as one-handed or two-handed, and it can get annoying if you pick another sword only to realize, oh, crud, I haven't used this type at all, so i got to learn all the moves for it. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was actually another thing about the combat I really liked. It's, it, it's a simple system, but you get to create your own attack combos. Like, you get to create your own order for different move types to go in. You, there's a, every, every, every time you're learning the moves with each weapon, you, you learn a new sort of a new swing with that weapon. And then you have a, every weapon has a certain number of points, and you can, just, you can attribute those points to different moves and basically create your own attack combo, uh, your own attack animation combo. Yeah, I did like that. It's, it's up to five moves, and some of the moves can be really, really helpful, like the ones that automatically knock the opponent over so that it can't counter for a while. And I, I also like that you are just able to bring up the main menu at any time in combat, so you can switch your inventory whenever you want. Oh, you can also make uh, those character formations with your party members. The link system? Yes, that one. I found that more important in the endgame dungeons than the actual game, like the storyline. 
Yeah, I really like the link system as well. That was a lot of fun. There's a, a lot of cool links out there that you can use. Um, the attack link is really helpful for just beat, uh, just finishing battles quickly since you can... It basically makes all your characters attack the same opponent at the same time. I liked the arrow link just because I liked sending my characters charging across the screen, sending everything flying in their path. The square link was another fun one I liked. It basically, as, as long as you're in the proper formation, your characters, when you hit the attack button, will just spin around in a circle and launch any enemy in the area skyward. You can basically finish battles just by spamming that repeatedly because it'll just destroy everything that comes close. I don't think I used that one too much. Another thing the Link system does is let you learn the the abilities of your other characters with enough Link repetitions in case just bonus luck isn't a good enough ability for Jack to have. The passive abilities and whatnot, yeah. There are some very cool ones, too. Like uh, Some of them are simple and unimpressive, and other ones are ridiculously good. Like I think you could get a chance to learn uh, one from Genius, uh, Genius early on in the game if because uh, he joins your party, and it's uh, auto HP restore, and that's one of the most useful abilities in the game uh, when you learn it. it. It takes a while before you get any characters who know it, but King of Night and King of Day can be very, very helpful because they just boost all your stats at that time of day. And of course, that's why you don't want to fight Elwyn during the day, because she is King of Day. I never I never really used 100-ton body, but I understand it allows you to actually stay in place when the enemies hit you with things that normally knock you down. I, I like the Spiral Link. That was the one I liked. It's the only one I also remember off the top of my head. <laughs> just because, like, you know, it's a squiggly line, and you just have all the characters kind of weaving. Oh, the Wave so, Link, you mean? So, yeah, the Wave, that was what it was. It was really good. I like that one. I used that one quite frequently when I was playing it. I like how Jack just shouts, shouts it out every time uh, you use it. Just says, wave! Jack Link! <laughs> Jack Link! Square Link! Wave! <laughs> yeah, he's such a great leader, that boy. <laughs> The the command system was also kind of cool, like being uh, being able to directly uh, command your party members in various ways, just uh, making them use their Volty Blast attacks and things like that. It was uh, heal ally. That was probably the most useful ability, actually, the, the heal ally command. Yeah, the AI it's pretty good, but sometimes you just can't trust it, and so you got to tell it heal me right now. And you know what? That's a good thing because you know what? Not a lot of not all games offer up that kind of direct commands. And one of the great things I like about that command system too is that when you command an ally to do something, they'll keep doing it until you tell them to stop. Like if you if you command say uh, if you have Miranda in your party, and you command her to cure friend, and you target the party member, she will spam her healing ability over and over again and keep you uh, keep your entire party healed. This is true. Once you t- once you tell them to heal ally, then they'll keep doing it, and until you're fully healed, I think. Uh, even even after you're fully healed, uh, if you if you go down and healthy, and they'll keep healing you. Yeah, I guess I just never noticed because most of the times I a battle went on that long, I was more involved with trying to kill the thing instead of paying attention to my ally. But since my ally was doing such a good job keeping me alive, that's a good thing. You know, we haven't really talked about the antagonists of the game, have we? Such as a fellow named Cross. He has horrible hair. Is that the one? <laughs> Why, yes. He's, he's the pretty boy. Cross has the interesting hairstyle of shaving both sides of his head, letting a cowlick go down below his nose, and letting a cocktail <laughs> go down below his shoulders. Truly a fashion nightmare. He's also a douche. Well, yes. Very true. In fact, he's the douchiest of douches in that whole game. 
And half of his douchiness just doesn't make sense most of the time. It doesn't even matter what path you take, he's still a douche. You didn't even play the non-human <laughs> side, did you, Sam? He's no, I didn't. He was, I mean, he was douchey in the path that I was playing in. I'm sure he was worse. Side, he, he manages to blame Dynas for leading the failed attack on Fort Valencia and kills him. Because, what? Because that way, he gets the glory. Dynas was a traitor. I killed him. Now I command the knights. Wow, that's as bad as General Roud from Sweet Coden, too. Wow, that's special. Yes, and pretty much every time Cross sees Jack, he can't help but insult him, which, let's face it, Cross is going to do because Jack is an easy target for insults. And yet it just rolls off Jack and he manages to fire back with his own, which ends up pissing Cross off even more. (laughs) You got to love Jack for that. (laughs) Yeah, Cross is pretty thin-skinned when it comes to taking abuse. And, oh, yes, he was Ridley's fiance, which is broken off pretty quickly. But you got to wonder, what did her father see in that family? Well, her, her father was a douchebag as well. <laughs> <laughs> you, have to, you have to admit, Jooms, I mean, the majority of the high-ranking officials in this game really do fall in the category of, like, douchebag. Giant douchebag, yeah. <laughs> and, like, they have no other personality trait except giant douchebag. <laughs> Larks wasn't that bad. Well, Larks no, guys. he's one of the better Actually, ones. But he's pretty boring compared to the others. Yeah, he's pretty sedate for the most part. And Larks pretty much rams through the whole, well, uh, these people put my daughter in danger, so fire them immediately. No, Larks was uh, the counselor. He wasn't yeah, he he was, having he, a kid. He's that he, blonde he guy the, with uh, glasses. Yeah, he's the guy who's kind of helping you out. He's, he's the one who, he's sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. He doesn't want to fire Gantz and Jack, but uh, he has to because he's playing the politics game. Yeah, I, re- I remember that. And he does what he can for what he can. Get my tenses mixed up. He does what he can. Never mind. See, I, I have forgotten how the English language works for a moment. Um, but he's pretty much alone in being friendly towards Jack in the castle. Except maybe Lucian, but Lucian has his own agenda. Anybody want to feel that? You mean being the final boss? <laughs> On both paths, interestingly <laughs> enough. Yes, how about that? He's actually the Silver Dragon, and even though his ostensible goal is to help humanity avert the chain of world destruction that eliminates the human race every time the Gold and Silver Dragon switch places, well, he and Jack just don't quite get along. Something goes wrong in their relationship at the end of both paths. In the end of the human path, well, it's the simple fact that since Ridley was trying to be the vessel of the Gold Dragon and that would have sealed the Silver Dragon's fate, then he had to kill her. Jack doesn't quite like that. And in the non-human path... uh, It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, except he doesn't kill Ridley this time. I think he killed Gawain instead. Yeah, in the non-human path, he manages to kill Gawain. And Gawain and Gantz, actually, but they both die. But in the human path, he kills Cross. I'm not not sure if he killed Cross in the non-human path, too. No, you you kill Cross in the non-human path. No, you beat the crap out of him, but then a bolt of light comes down from the sky and kills him. Is that what it is? I don't know. And also, Cross was a real jerk because he hit me with his Volti Blast early in the battle. And oh god, that defending against those Volti Blasts was just brutal. It was it could just very easily be a one hit kill. Yeah, you got to make sure Jack is fully healed, yeah. or else. Uh, or if you have the complete defense ability, just guard. I think Volti Blast cut through even complete defense. I'm not sure. I think I was guarding when Elwyn used hers on me, and it uh, tore me apart. Here, here's a question: on, on the non-human path, did anyone actually manage to beat Elwyn? No, I was level 50-something, and she still tore me apart, partially because I was stupid enough to come at her in the daylight, but well, you don't she's really have really much of a choice in that. 
No, but I think I could have tried to wait until nightfall, and maybe it probably wouldn't have mattered because she does hundreds of hundreds of damage with each hit, and she does a super fast combo that by the time she's done with it, she's guarding again, and you can't get a hit in because she backsteps all the time, and then she. Well, there was a, again. there was an interesting trick against some of those characters. You uh, you could use it against Gerald, I know, and I think you can use it against Elwyn as well. It just takes forever. You throw a poison vial at her and let her health sap down to nothing. <laughs> And then hope the Volti Blast doesn't come along, right? Well, yeah, you basically just have to keep yourself healed and hope that the Volti Blast doesn't kill you. Then, then you just run away from her. <laughs> I think I did try that when fighting her in the non-human path, except she's so damn fast that she dodged me throwing the items at her. That was bothersome. Again, don't mess with Elwyn. She will rip you apart. And while we're talking about that, I never went. I did not go on to the post-game content. I understand you did, Adrian. Uh, yeah, I played through the post-game uh, dungeon only on the human path. I didn't do it on the non-human path mainly because the characters in the non-human path are not nearly strong enough to really survive that. It would be much, much harder having uh, Elwyn, Kane, and uh, who else did I bring with me? I think it was. Oh yeah, Valkyrie is who I ended up bringing with me. You well, get before, her in the. You get her in the post-game get Valkyrie, dungeon. Who did you use? Uh, I think I had Fernando with me for the most part, but I switched uh, switched him out with uh, Valkyrie. But having the three of them on your team is just helpful. And you could always now, swap Valkyrie out for Curtis, too, actually. Yeah, he's he's the best mage in the game, right? Yeah, he's the uh, the leader of the mage guild. And most other yeah, mages use... There's some, there's some really cool stuff in the post-game dungeon, though. Not only ju- not just, uh, not just like, cool battles and things like that, and uh, just the fact that it's a really cool dungeon with high-level monsters, but there's some really cool story bits and stuff like that. Like, you finally get to fight, uh, fight Jack's father, Karen. I'm going to guess he's hard. Actually, surprisingly, no. He's one of the easier bosses in that area. Okay. You also get to fight the gold dragon. How does it compare and to the silver dragon? He's, uh, I think he's easier. But then again, this is also a play on the human path with much more powerful characters. The human path, as a general rule, is a lot easier than the non-human path. Don't you need to um, complete the, the dungeon at least once before you can unlock the golden dragon? Because oh, I think right. he um, replaces Valkyrie or someone I th- in the list. You're right. I think you're right. Uh, the gold dragon replaces is one of them. I think I can't remember which one it is, but yeah, you're right. I think you do need to complete it's it once. Probably Valkyrie because she's in your party, and there's nothing to feel that. Yeah, you're probably right. You also get to fight, uh, and this is awesome and completely true. A crayon drawing of a dragon. <laughs> yeah, and he's flat, and he can squish you with his peeperness. <laughs> Uh, I I not entirely certain. I'm, this is just a theory, but I'm guessing that one of the developers' kids drew the dragon for the game, and they just put it in. <laughs> that's the only that's the only logical explanation I could think of for it. That's fabulous. Regardless, it was dev- memorable. Regardless, it was memorable. <laughs> yes, definitely. Now, while while glancing through a fact regarding this stuff, apparently the ethereal queen is supposed to be the hardest one. Is this true? She's at the, en- she's at the end of the dungeon, yes, and she's very, very hard. Um, the best strategy for fighting her is to not fight her. <laughs> ah, uh, well, it's you- true. You just run around her area of attack, and you'll eventually win because your party members kill you, kill her for you. Yeah, that's about it. You, all you really do is launch commands, telling Kane to heal or so-and-so to use their multi-blast. That's about the limit of Jack's contribution to that fight. <laughs> His contribution is staying safe. Yes, because the game ends if he dies. <laughs> that, that's brilliant, guys. <laughs> oh, and for Sam's benefit, uh, what does Lazard do when you fight him? 
I don't think you fight Lizard. Do you fight Lizard? I can't remember. You do. Um, you fight him before or after Valkyrie, but you can only fight him once. Maybe it's him that gets replaced by the gold dragon. I don't know. You need to check the internet for that. <laughs> does Does he actually join the party at all? Or? No, no. no you just doesn't. fight him, and he insults you and talks about Valkyrie, and he goes away forever. Oh. Sounds Uber. like Trius was trying to continue the story of Silmaria a little bit. <laughs> Are we surprised? <laughs> well, one of the things, interesting things about it is that as as post game dungeons go for Trias games, it's definitely the most approachable of them. Definitely the most easily completable. Uh, like it, it, you don't need a a crap ton of gaming expertise and skill in order to be able to survive it, like you do in some of the Star Ocean ones. Uh, just a modicum of gaming skill is enough to get by, and pretty much anyone who wants to can probably complete that dungeon. Hmm. Oh, okay, since I've still got the game, I might I might give that a try. I'd say it's worth it. I uh, if you have a human pass save, use that one because having Kane and you know, are definitely definitely important for that game. And it was a human path where I did get all of them, so that would be ideal. You know, I was thinking of Star Ocean. If you go into Ridley's room on the human path, then you wake up back in Jack's room wearing something that is called the Fate Armor that makes him look like what is it? Fate Line God? Is that really his name? Yeah, yeah. from, from Star, uh, Star Ocean Three. 3. And he has this whole epiphany of, wow, my hair is blue. Cool. That's actually an, enter- an entertaining little uh, little Easter egg in there because uh, it, it starts off with a little sort of a, a radio message that you sort of pick up talking about a, an out-of-place object somewhere on this planet <laughs> suggesting that the Radiata Stories is another planet in the Star Ocean universe. That's right, linking all of the games together. What'll they think of next? Well, they've also linked the Valkyrie profile ones into there, too. Yeah. I was going to say, you can find Valkyrie's armor in the Radiata Castle. Uh, If you go into one of the bedrooms, it's like sitting there perched. And if I'm not saying, I'm sorry, Clay. I thought you you got the Valkyrie armor from from beating Valkyrie in the final. No, it's on a stand in the king, one of the king's rooms, his display room. And isn't uh, Freya in the game too? Yeah, you um, have to fight her. She is. I think so. Isn't it Freya? Or it's, it's one of the another one of the gods from Valkyrie Profile. You get to fight. If it's I blonde, don't... it's Freya. <laughs> well, Ethereal Queen was blonde too. I, I thought I you fought. I, I thought you fought Freya just before the Ethereal Queen. I thought she was the boss before. I know. Okay, so it's there's a Gabrielle Celesta. Then that's that's the one I was thinking of. Sorry, oh, I was okay. Gabriel Celesta. That's not female. That's obviously very male because he jumps. On Jack or tries to with his. I knew I knew bulge. it was a god character. That's all I could remember. What he had a bulge. He was huge, and Jack was greatest. <laughs> you don't remember that? Uh, it's been a long time since I did the post game dungeon. Long, long time. Then maybe it's time to revisit it because I think it's already out of stories where fans realize that Gabrielle Celesta is male because a lot of them thought it was female because oh, the name Gabriel quite... should be a dead giveaway. <laughs> I don't know. I guess the inter- the internet has questionable people. <laughs> None of those questionable people listen to our podcast. Of course, we have nothing but effusive praise for all of you. <laughs> Good job. <All> right. <laughs> Way to cover your ass. <laughs> You know, while we're talking about the castle, the king, did he have more than two lines in the whole game? The king doesn't do much. He had two lines in the game? <laughs> yeah, at that, at that meeting, he says a couple of things when Lord Larks prompts him to, and then he goes away again. I don't even remember what the king looks like, to be frank. He looked like a, a, an old guy. Well, if you follow Larks around for a day, you actually get to go into the king's room, where he, well, Larks does his little daily routine. But you don't actually get to interact with the king's self. 
I guess no one stops to box during their game but me. There's so many characters in that game. I think everyone had to pick and choose which ones they were going to stalk. I mean, to follow all of them would be ridiculous. I actually had a notion when the game first came out to create an FAQ detailing every character's daily routine down to the like down to the hour. And I gave up after like ten characters. There's just <laughs> so many, and there, it takes so long to try to figure it all out. Like how long? How about how long is a day in Radiata stories? I think it's I think like it's 45 about minutes. About twenty four, twenty five minutes. Seems to be one minute, one hour. That sounds no, it's right. less. It's less than that. I, I think it's actually closer to forty minutes per day. Okay, I, I didn't time it closely. In any case, it's a significant chunk of time, and trying to get a detailed list of everyone is a monolithic task. You'd have to put in hundreds of hours to get an exact, concise measurement of all the characters. I think they're on GameFAQs now, of course. Because... They are by now, yes. Lots of people have uh, put time into it by, in the five years since its release. But, uh, and that is the GameFAQs, yeah. letting people who have so much time on their hands share the fruit of their labor with you. Um, oh, yes. And because Jack, he runs fairly quickly, but you're sometimes in a real hurry during the day. So getting, uh, what is it, the feather weight, whatever it is, down in the sewers so that he runs even faster helps you maximize what you can do during the day. At least it did for me. There's a lot of other weird ones down there. Like if you go down in the sewers, you can also find a leprechaun. And this leprechaun causes Jack to power walk everywhere. Which has got to be one of the weirdest and simultaneously most awesome bits of animation in gaming history. Jack's little power walk. It's just hilarious. I like Jack's animation when you're getting him close to running but not quite there. He just sort of chugs along like a kid. Yeah, that's the power walk. Yeah. <laughs> he even does it in a couple of cutscenes. I think uh, one of the ones where Ridley knocks at his door. I think it's right before the, uh, the, the split. When, he knocks, uh, when she knocks at his door, he, he, to answer the door, he power walks to the door. It's just... It's just so ridiculous. I also thought it was pretty cool that whatever armor he's wearing at the time, he's wearing that in everything that you have him do while he's got it on. The armor system was really cool, and there are a lot of really neat-looking armors in the game, too. I think I had him looking like a samurai for the end of the human path. Yeah, there's that samurai armor is pretty badass. Uh, I like the, uh, the absolute guard. It's like this futuristic purple suit with glowing lights all over it. That one's yes, really cool. Almost like something out of Tron. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the demon armor. That's pretty badass. I only used that a couple times because it drains your health, but it does. Yeah, it, it looks freaking awesome. Need status ailments. Status if, you ailments if, if you combo that armor with the uh, auto restore HP ability, it negates it negates the penalty and uh, lets you use the uh, the armor to look totally badass. I should have done that, but I didn't learn auto HP until late in the game. It also makes the cutscenes interesting because you look like Darth Vader whenever you're talking. <laughs> Except Darth Vader's voice, even in the new movies, was never quite like that. Oh, give George Lucas time. I'm sure it'll happen eventually. <laughs> well, yes. In the new Blu-ray edition of Star Wars, Obi-Wan's Crate Dragon Yell in A New Hope has been artificially enhanced by George Lucas. And in Return of the Jedi, Darth Vader will now yell, No! When tossing the Emperor down the shaft. I'm serious. I know. I've read the story on The Escapist, and it makes me very sad. Uh, let's go away from what George Lucas does lately. It's very saddening. 
Now, we haven't talked much about the sound of the game, except for the the audio chimes, which were very nice. But the music as a whole, I didn't think was Noriyuki Iwadari's best job by a long shot. I disagree. I love that soundtrack. I think it's one of okay. uh, it's a fantastic soundtrack. It's it's upbeat. It's it's quite varied. Uh, and one of the coolest things about it, I thought, is that there's two versions of every song, one for the day and one for the night. And you can hear them transition when the, the time changes. That much I can definitely agree with. I also find it interesting that this is... Is this the only Tri-Ace game that Motoi Sakuraba didn't score? Um, I think so. I'm not 100% certain on that, but I believe so. And using live musicians is definitely a nice touch, which Mr. Sakuraba usually doesn't. But most of it sounded like something I'd hear in a lounge bar at night, which it's very pleasant, but it didn't stand out to me very much. Sam, what were your thoughts? I'm trying to remember as much a lot of the soundtrack. I mean, I'm I'm more with you, James. I I honestly don't remember a lot of it. I just remember a lot of it being very pleasant for the most part. Um, I mean, in terms of Iwadari's work, I mean, it doesn't compare to the stuff we did for Grandia or or Lunar. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't have the pop quality to me to make it really memorable. The one thing, like, I, I love the the day and night transition song. I thought that was really good. Um, and I didn't mind the battle theme. I thought the battle theme was was pretty nifty. Um, it was fun. I, it wasn't really the battle themes that stood out to me though it was it was the environmental tracks the uh like just when you're wandering around town uh when you're going outside the castle they they all got these sort of i don't i don't know really how to describe it but they, there's lots of there's a lot of percussion and a lot of uh pleasant strings and wind instruments just chiming in the background it's just, it's just it it struck me as a uh, really good music and uh i just I, I never wanted to turn the sound off because it, it actually I think I had the soundtrack at one point too I lost it but uh it, it's definitely among my favorite game soundtracks uh, I was gonna mention actually one song that I do remember from the game that I really enjoyed was the one in the final dungeon when you're you're, you're climbing up the the structure <laughs> I love that that song I I thought that was really really that cool was a good tune but I'm never going to be able to forget going into the final dungeon and finding all of those fake ladders that just plunge you down multiple levels and all the sand falls that plunge oh. up the levels. Such yeah, the final dungeon was pretty brutal. <laughs> and there aren't even that many fights. You just get to go up again, find a sandfall, and fall back down. Well, I was going to say, Adrian, is that not a trait of all Trice games that the final dungeons are always kind of brutal? No, not always. <laughs> and, Sometimes and, and they're just boring. Mostly rapey. <laughs> Although Star Ocean 4, that, that was horrendously boring. That was way too big. That was just ridiculous. <laughs> I was thinking more actually along the lines of like the game you didn't finish, Valkyrie Profile, where the dungeon's really short, but you have like three lovely boss fights waiting for you if you did the good path. And one of them was Bloodbane. Oh, joy. Yes, everyone who fought Bloodbane will never forget it. Seething rage. I was thinking of uh, Infinite Discovery, where the, uh, the, final, the final dungeon is basically the same room repeated like six times. I didn't play that one, so... Uh... It's terrible. Don't bother. <laughs> Chloe, what were your thoughts on the music? I quite liked the scene in the Void Guild, that men's dirge. I can agree with that, yeah. It was... I actually quite like it. And there's another song. It's in the dungeon near the end of the game. I don't quite remember the name of it. <laughs> Sorry. But it's in a cave. Um, is it the is it the dungeon you find the orcs in? No. Let's see. Um, it's the dungeon. You get sent on a quest there in the both sides. Oh, a uh, septum cave. It could be that one. It's is it, is it sort of a? 
It's, it's a slower Night song, Sister. right? Pardon me? Is it one of those slower songs that's got that sort of haunting yeah. quality to it? Yes, I know which one you're talking about. That is it's a really called, good song. Uh, it's called Night Memories. It sounds, it sounds a little bit like, uh, like Green Sleeves. Yes, that one. Yeah, that's a really good song. One of, one of my favorite ones is uh, in uh, the sort of canyon area that leads up until the final dungeon. Uh, uh, it, it's got this sort of uh, almost a western style thing going on. It's it, it's just a really cool song, and it really fits that sort of sandy canyon area with the giant tortoises in the background. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like a banjo you're hearing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, in fact, uh, if you go into one of the areas of Radiator City at night, just before sundown, there's one of the characters is playing that song on his little banjo guitar thing with he's, he's got that crazy punk mohawk and he's just totally rocking out and actually i think alvin shows up there sometime and starts headbanging to it oh yeah him the guy you recruit by giving him a record and all yeah. he does wander around like well he looks for he looks crazy man he does um i can't borgandi and borgandiazo whatever the name of the place where the orcs live i just wanted to say that place has some of the most gigantic booger looking things i've ever seen in an environment Gigantic green <laughs> things that are flowing sinuously but not dropping. Mm. There were a couple of uh, vocal songs in the game, too. I think there's one that uh, you can go to a music concert at some point in the game where uh, that one character is playing. It's got that really ridiculous pop quality, J-pop quality thing going on. What was it called? It was like Paya Paya or something like that. Okay. Any, any other memorable environments aside from the uh, gigantic snot dungeon? Oh, God, the environments in general were amazing, though. Uh, well, yeah. As, as visually, I'd say that's probably one of... Uh, Radio Stories is probably Trius's most striking game. It's absolutely gorgeous the way it was designed the the limited camera views i mean a lot of people complain about having restricted cameras and stuff like that but the things they did with it in certain areas were so amazing limited camera doesn't matter much unless you actually need to see in angles that they don't let you and you don't no showing you everything you need to see and that's one of the great things about i think i think by doing that they were able to put a lot a lot more detail into the environments than they normally would be able to like they they had all those little stones in the roads and stuff like like i think i spent at one point in the game 10 minutes it's just kicking a pebble down the road. I did that a couple times, too. Okay, I have to leave now. Sorry. I had a lot of fun talking about Radia stories. It was Thanks nice talking to you. Yeah, I didn't get to talk too much to you, but it was really fun butchering your name and everybody else is on the show. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. I really appreciate it's that. His, it's his MO, Chloe. It's what he does to everyone. Okay, so I'll see you all later. Thanks for inviting me on. Sure thing. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Good night. So getting back to the, uh, the environmental design, um, I, I remember a lot of places in the game that just the camera would change, the view would change as you were moving down the path, and it looked really good. The, the most striking, though, was just like the, the same area I was talking about before, the area just before the final dungeon. As you're moving down that canyon path towards that final dungeon, the camera just pans backward. Jack gets really small in the background. You see this incredible view with this canyon on either side, trees, a road, trees going down, the sun sinking down behind the horizon. And it's, it was absolutely amazing. That was an excellent shot, yep. And a lot of the enemies were pretty good looking, too. The gigantic cactus monsters, which are in no way derivative of that <laughs> thing from Final Fantasy that people seem to remember. They're pretty cool. They like to sprout giant cactuses in front of you to send you flying. Or the gigantic tortoises you fight in that desert area. I like the sewer zombies. The the, the ones that are made of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they literally melt back into the sewer when you beat them. So gross. <laughs>
Yes. Yeah, the sewers were actually surprised. Even the sewers looked good. I mean, they looked like sewers. They just looked <laughs> disgusting. Well, if you're going to make a sewer level, make it look good. Seems like we've managed to tax Sam enough that she's going to have to go away now. Uh, sorry, I'm tired. <laughs> I haven't been feeling well the last couple of days, so I'm sitting here and I'm kind of falling asleep at my desk, and not because of you guys, just because I'm still clogged up and not well. So I feel bad, <laughs> but and, I need to sleep. Well, besides you, you, you and Adrian are having such a party, and <laughs> I feel bad because you have my game, and I don't remember much about. <laughs> Other than the characters, like I feel bad. I'm like, do I remember the environment? No. Well, well, if it makes you feel any better, Sam, I have the game right here in my hands. But the only thing I can talk about is the cover art because I didn't actually get around to playing it. <laughs> so, speaking of the cover art, here's here's an interesting fun fact about the cover art of Radiata Stories. <laughs> Anywho, good night, boys. See you later. <laughs> good night, Nick. Good night. Bye. So anyways, this fun fact about the cover of Rowdy Atta Stories. It is actually impossible to make Jack look like he does on the cover of Rowdy Atta Stories. I never noticed that because there's so many outfits you can fit him up with in the game, but that is interesting. Yeah. The armor he's wearing can only be acquired in the human path, and the sword he's using can only be acquired in the non-human path. So getting both at the same time, completely impossible. Well, thank you, Triace. That was very nice of you. And that's my contribution. <laughs> Funny, funny, funny. So, any, so that what? What's your what's your final thoughts? Wrap the wrap up. Uh, you know, should people go back? Is this worth going back to your PS2 to play if you've somehow missed out on it? Yeah, if you only have a PS3 that can't play PS2 games, is it worth tracking it down? Right. Phrase it like that. Yeah. Let's say if you, Adrian, did now shout. Un- <laughs> unquestionably, uh, of all the games that I played on the PS2, um, Radius Stories ranks in my top three without any question at all. It's an amazing game. I think it's Trius's best game. Uh, again, that's not really saying a lot since a lot of their <laughs> games are pretty hit and miss, but uh, every now and then, Trius manages to get a gem out, and that's... Radiata Stories is one of those gems. You're still sour from Star Ocean 4, aren't you? Extremely. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mr. Minky? What are your final thoughts on it? Having just spent somewhere close to 100... No, probably more than that, hours with it in total on both human and non-human, I can definitely say that, you know, I don't spend that kind of time on games that anger me or frustrate me to any real degree. So if the fact that I spent many hours of my life playing it and wanted to play more because getting those characters was so damn addictive, then you can take that as a recommendation. You can take the fact that I enjoyed the combat as a recommendation. You can take the fact that Triace did an excellent job forming a full-fledged world that doesn't really have any big seams in it as a recommendation. In case I'm not making it clear, I recommend this title wholeheartedly. (laughs) well there you go well we're gonna take a we're gonna take a few moments uh to listen to some more music and i'll be right back with one of my recommendations
and I'm back. Uh, we're back. We're going to talk about League of Legends to help me out. I've asked my very good comrade at arms, Mr. John Callender, to join us. How are you doing tonight, John? Yeah, it's four o'clock in the morning and I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, but you got the English accent, so that makes up for it. So <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, League of Legends. I played this. Uh, I played this game for review a couple of years ago for RP Gamer, and uh, there were some things I enjoyed about it, some things I did enjoy about it. And Mr. John has been playing this a lot more recently, so I'll kick things off and then uh, uh mr john's going to help flesh out some of the you know answer some of my questions about some of the changes that have happened over the last couple of years and some of the articles that i've read okay yep. so mm-hmm. let's see we're going to be talking about league of legends this was developed a right Developed and published by Riot Games. Uh, this was released on October 27, 2009 for your Windows operating system. This is an action RTS RPG hybrid online multiplayer game <laughs> rated uh, T for Teen. Uh, so uh, I, I'm a I'm a big fan as as most people know I, I do like uh, strategy games like StarCraft and whatnot I I don't quite care as much uh, for the typical action RPG game like Diablo but I really do like when you merge the two together you get the formula known as Defense of the Ancients uh, a game where basically you're spending between 20 and 60 minutes playing a very fast version of Diablo against other people in my opinion uh, to kind of this out for for those people who've never heard of the defense of the ancients doesn't that come back from like warcraft 3 or something john the history uh, behind Def- that defense of the ancients was a uh map it was a mod created like you know a sort of map slash mod created for warcraft 3 i can't remember when how long defense of the ancients has been around because i didn't really play it when it was first around yeah me kind of thing. i think it i think it was sometime in 2003 but i could be wrong so the kind of the the the, the base concept behind it has actually been around for quite a long time before League of Legends showed up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and basically, uh, you've got two bases on opposite sides of the map. You've got two teams of players. Each one of them is playing a, playing a hero. Uh, the gameplay, as far as controlling the hero and whatnot, is very similar to a Diablo, where you see your character from a top-down perspective. You point on the map where you want to go, right-click to attack. Uh, you press different buttons and or hotkeys to activate your special attacks. Uh, well, as you're fighting, your base, uh, your bases have defense towers. So if any enemies get too close to them, there's some extra defense there to, to slow them down or stop them. And also at the same time, each base is sending out waves of of mobs, mon- little monsters that are controlled by the computer. The, the the players don't control them. They're just out there to harass and really become experience points fodder for the players. As you kill other heroes uh, in the middle of the battlefield, or you're killing off those little monsters that are running back and forth, you'll gain experience points rather quickly level up every minute or two uh you'll also gain gold as time goes by and you're killing these monsters which you can take back to your base to buy more upgrades right there on the fly um usually at the beginning of the game for the first five or so levels your characters aren't powerful enough uh to really make too much headway especially past the powerful towers uh but after you've gained some gear some levels or whatnot usually one side becomes much stronger than the other and eventually destroys the defense 
hundreds of towers in front of that other team's big castle or citadel or whatnot, and eventually he's able to take out. It's kind of like a reverse tug of war. <laughs> you're pushing to get into the other person's territory and tear down the castle. When your character dies, he usually comes back after 30 or 60 seconds, so so dying isn't normally the end uh, of the world. It, it, League of Legends, dying is uh, the death, death length is dependent on character level. So if you're low level, you actually stay dead for a very short period of time, mm-hmm. whereas if you're killed at the maximum level during a game, which is level 18, you stay dead for about a minute or so. Ah, dang. <laughs> Don't die. Um, so, yeah, when I see I'm getting low on health, I, I run away right away. So, I had the uh, the only game I had played before League of Legends that had this gameplay was Demigod, um, and we're not going to talk too much about that, because that's not what we're here to talk about, but, um, but so when I went into League of Legends, I was somewhat experienced in how these games are supposed to work. Um, I found that, now I was reviewing it as a, a retail product um, and I enjoyed the gameplay I just felt uh, and I but I was a little harsh on the review because I felt as a retail product that you might go out and spend 20 or 30 dollars uh, for the disc that it wasn't a great value because there was only I think at the time there was only one map or two maps and um, it just felt you know a little limited um, but uh, but you but the nice thing about League of Legends you can actually download and play it for free and and for free even at one or two maps you can't beat that it's free the gameplay itself felt very very solid to me uh for that one map that you were in i was kind of used to having like six or seven different maps like demigod uh but for the one map that you're in it was really fun and the matchmaking uh was pretty darn good and that's not even getting into the i'm gonna let you john talk more about the uh the 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 meta part of the game outside of the actual battles and that which which is actually more of the rpg elements for league of legends and how you develop your account and your character and stuff like that through multiple battles Um, well what i was going to say is um League of Legends at the moment does still only have two map, two individual maps, a 5v5 and a 3v3 map. They've got this new game mode coming out, which I'll discuss later, which at the moment will only introduce one additional map. Now, in a way, the limited map, um, you're right, in a, a, limited, uh, a very limited map means that there's a very... Um, a uh, small number of sort of like uh, map-based strategies that you can employ. Like, you know, how certain uh, maps in, say, StarCraft 2, you employ specific strategies for them to take advantage of uh, terrain or layout. Uh-huh. I think what where League of Legends kind of like tactical depth comes in is less about the map, because if they made another 5v5 map, it would probably be quite similar to the one that already exists, and balancing could be extremely difficult. But more comes about between, um, like, how each team of five interacts with each other, especially later on in the game when um, the characters begin to kind of bunch up and they start getting involved in um, team fights. You know, it's so it, there, there is less emphasis made on on map variety and more on character variety. I think at the moment there are now eighty-one characters. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean there was. Uh, oh, I wouldn't doubt it because even when I started, uh, there was thirty. 542 some gosh darn number like that and every week i'm reading about them adding another uh character so yeah, yeah they they currently try and push for um adding a new character every two weeks i think they're currently on a three-week cycle for the current one um still so still kind of amazes me just a, a little and not to sound like a, a negative nilly or anything like that but how hard can it be just to make some demi god came out with like six or seven balanced all you have to do is make it symmetrical and and some of them look are very original with curve 
curves and stuff like that, and yet they're still symmetrical, so they're still, you know, kind of fair. What What's so hard about, if they can make all these characters, why can't they just, is it really that players just really are just, really don't want more maps? They want more characters? I mean, they're like demanding on the forums? I think there's, there's always been a call for more maps. It, the, uh, I mean, I actually try and avoid the the, uh, the forums for League of Legends as much as possible, because <laughs> I mean, you thought the World of Warcraft ones were bad, but uh. my god. But, you know, it's like, um, I think I think it may be right have managed to build themselves into a position where uh, map balance is actually now harder than character balance almost. Like the the effort of getting a team together to produce a new map is actually more effort than adding new characters, which people play and enjoy and whatnot. Um, God, I've got I've picked up your habit of saying and whatnot after every sentence. Um, but. You know, and 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 now they are actually releasing a new map. I mean, originally they had um they had um a five v five map in at least concept called Magma Chamber, which was supposed to be quite a large five v five one, but that was um scrapped i think when they went with dominion which is more territory control rather than the traditional how how you previously described the game hmm. so yeah, dominion are, are you familiar with world of warcraft yes that, that i was reading about that dominion so it, it looks like that yeah, you're going to go out you're going to try to control and hold uh resource point uh, areas well, for points i had i had, um, I, had a cho- I had a chance to play um uh, dominion at gamescom recently oh cool uh, um, I, I, you know, the, the the version that they had there was a kind of mostly complete beta version that they were still running through, um, sort of internal testing. I think that the intention is to try and release it at some point this month. But, but basically, it's um, it's it's uh, again with uh, five versus five teams. Um, the map is. Um, uh, basically, it's got five control points laid out in a kind of pentagon shape. Mm-hmm. Um, both teams have um, a nexus with um, 500 points on it. And essentially, hold, the more points you hold, uh, the faster the opposing team's points decrease, and the first person to get to zero loses. It's kind of like an inverse version of Arathi Basin, if you've ever played World of Warcraft. I say, it sounds like, yeah, kind of like Arathi Basin or Eye of the Storm. Yeah, it's basically... Um, the intention of Dominion is basically um, is it's supposed to be a much faster-paced game than the more traditional uh, like laning maps that um, League of Legends and other games like it are known for. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was told by I think it was one it was either one of the developers or their PR guy that the map is designed so that players um, find fights really easily. Uh, there is less emphasis placed on. Um, kills and deaths you respawn quicker you earn gold faster um i think there's actually a list somewhere of the various um like changes applied to a character um give me just a second yeah um uh the list here is uh champions start at level three with uh 1375 gold instead of level one with the basic gold 475 um all champions gain 50 percent armor penetration five percent magic penetration a 20 percent healing reduction, a bonus to mana regen, and all champions gain experience points over time, even when they're not killing or um, uh, assisting with uh, the deaths of champions or minions. Um, you get less gold from killing people, but you gain more gold over time, like, just naturally. Um, so the entire thing is kind of like, the, the you, you fight for this territory stuff, and the whole game's over in 20 minutes, where if I've, I've been in some normal League of Legends game that have lasted, you know, an hour or so. Oh, yeah. To and throwing. 
So one of the key things, um, this is more of a strategy than an RPG thing, but I want to ask, um, because, you know, I played before it was officially released, I think, or when it was in beta or something like that. So it didn't quite get uh, the full online experience, but did, uh, did how's the matchmaking? Uh, I know one of the things I really enjoy about StarCraft 2 is its its ability to match um, me with people who actually are as bad as I am. Well, the, ma- the, the matchmaking kind of ties into um, the character to like the 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 character the user when the user signs up you know player signs up for League of Legends mm-hmm. um, you create a summoner which in the storyline summons the champions into the the you know the um, the the field as it were um, obviously the champions level start at always start at level one or in Dominion at level three and level up to a maximum of eighteen during gameplay the summoner as in the player uh, has an independent level so they gain experience points. Uh, um, outside of sort of outside of the game, and then they level up as a summoner slowly over the course of many games. And leveling up as a summoner gives you access to um, League of Legends has its own uh, like talent tree esque thing called masteries, where you gain one point per level up to a maximum of thirty. And you know these talent trees. There are only three, offense, defense, and utility. But if you've ever played World of Warcraft, the the, the interface is almost identical. I mean, even so, go, uh, goes as far as, um, for example, most talent builds at level 30 take 21 points from one and nine points from from another, similar to how many people uh, assign World of Warcraft talents, so from two different trees. Um, You also, for every level you gain, you unlock something called a rune slot, which provide very... um, by themselves, runes provide very small benefits. Um, but when you're at level 30 and you have every slot in your profile unlocked and you have tier 3 runes to put in them, you know, that it, you can actually begin to make a uh, noticeable difference in your character's start, uh, abilities at level 1. Uh, I mean, I myself, I'm only level 18, so I'm still missing 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 12 rune slots, you know, as my character level says, really. Mm-hmm. So... And that's um, that's more of the RPG. Then, that's that's more of the yeah, RPG side. Then, you're you're building up your t- summoner over time. Yeah, and that then ties into the the matchmaking. Is the matchmaking will try and match people who are similar summoner levels. Uh, one of the things that they 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 one of the other things that they've introduced since you've played probably was there is now a mode where. Um, it's similar to the um, queuing for a uh, queuing for a game in that um, you get placed with four other random people who are roughly around the same level. Mm-hmm. But instead of placing you against five peop- other people of similar length for a PvP match, uh, this mode just pits you against five bots. Oh, well, that's 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 yeah. nice. I as know. A kind of, as a kind of like as a training mode. Now um, there's a beginner thing, so the bots are you know quite easy to get rid of. Um, you know you can probably learn some basic things. It's it's a great way to practice with new characters. You know, you've you've unlocked a new character, or there's a free one you like the look of. You want to try it out. You know, you don't want to go right into PvP because you know you might die horribly or not know how to play the character properly. So you can hop into beginner versus bots, and you can try your character without kind of like the consequences of you know losing to an enemy team full of players. Right. The other the um. 
the versus bots thing does have an, uh, an intermediate. It's marked intermediate mode. But in intermediate, the bots become downright cruel. You know, they, they actually pick up... Um, the, the developers have managed to successfully... Seems to manage to successfully program the bots with kind of like some of the sneaky things that players do. You know, the, they will, the bots will disappear suddenly from their lane and then gank you suddenly from the side. And they do build their items on their uh, champions extremely quickly. So before long, you are faced down with a team of level 18 bots who are very, very angry. And that's, and this is an important part of the, uh, this is an important part of the game and why this kind of comes underneath the RPG category is, uh, is how you build your character and how you work on your summoner and how those two work well together, your summoner yeah. profile, and how you, you know, level up your character inside of the game and what items you by and doing things that, that synergize as well together uh you know for your character and your summoner is is it's very very important and it plays it plays just as important role as also strategizing with your friends so yes this is uh you know you hear a lot of strategy game talk here as john's talking and we're talking about matchmaking we're talking about rankings everything else and and whatnot but um uh but at the same time as you're playing or you know as you're working on your summoner outside of battle in the meta game and as you're playing inside of the game what items what you're choosing for your level ups etc etc is mm. also really important yeah yeah because every time you every uh, you're, you're a champion has four abilities and every time you level you gain one skill point to a maximum of 18 um the uh three of your abilities have five levels um and your final ability um, only has three, and you can only put a point in it at level six, eleven, and sixteen, um, which is basically your kind of ultimate ability. It's a kind of powerful. It, obviously, what it actually does is highly dependent on the character you're playing as. Some characters have very quick recharging ultimate abilities. It's kind of basically something that's um, very tied into the character. You know, they're, they're sort of very character appropriate. Um, some have very long recharge times. Some have very short recharge times and some have some really quite strange effects mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. um but yeah um but as I saying the um so the, the kind of rpg-esque things comes into play with um we've been mentioning um this kind of accumulation of gold which is you start with a, a relatively low amount at, at level one and as the game goes on you gain gold slowly however you can also gain gold quicker by um uh, the minions that um, control the lanes, um, if you land the final hit on one, you will get some additional you know, sort of paltry sum of gold for doing so. Taking down turrets, you know, the towers earns you more gold, and then taking down an enemy champion earns you quite a lot of gold. And then you use this gold, you go back to your base, and you, you build... Basically, you buy um, basic items, and then basic items can um, kind of combine into other items which have additional effects on them. Um, um, so I'll just have a look through here. Um, let's see. And what was kind well, of, kind of neat about that too, while you're looking it up, is if you're if you're going to buy an item and it requires you know the combination of two and other items and you don't have them, that's okay. If you got enough gold, it'll work it all out for you very quickly. But if yeah, once you I mean, get, once you get used to the system, then uh, and you're more familiar with it, and you can take more time to look at it, then you'll naturally want to buy things in progression because that's the most economical thing. Yeah, to do. I mean, what the way it kind of the way it's kind of set up is you buy um, what, when people refer to building 
into a certain item, what it means is you buy the cheaper components that make up the item so you can get a small benefit that will be a part of the larger item later. Um, I mean, for example, the Rabadon's Death Cap, which is an item which pretty much all ability power mages you will build at some point because of its effects, is built from two simpler items. One is um, about 800 gold, which gives you plus... I think it's 40 ability power. And then there's one which costs 1,600 gold, which gives you plus 80 ability power, which is okay. However, when you, um, if you then have those two items and have an additional 1,100 gold, I think it is, you build, you use up the two items and they get combined into this other item. Uh, Rabadon's Death Cap itself is plus 140 ability power, but it also has uh, this thing, a unique passive. Um, it increases your ability power by an additional 30. Um, anything that says unique can't be... For example, you can build, you can have two death caps, but you will only get its unique passive once. Mm-hmm. And the same is true, I believe, across multiple items with um, similar effects. For example, everyone, everyone talks about boots, and what they refer to as the items that have unique passive enhanced movement on. You can only get that once. You can't sort of become amazingly fast by having multiple copies of it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, when, um, so there's this kind of like progression, and as you get into later game people are wielding uh, like big items with more and more effects on so tanks for example will come with more armor and more hp um and if they're wielding particular items the ability to resurrect from the dead once every five minutes which is annoying (laughs) so this all sounds fun and exciting and as i said earlier there is a retail package but you most people get into it for free by just downloading the client and jumping right in but obviously yep. the game needs to support itself how uh needs to support itself some way mr mr calendar how do they do that okay well the um league of legends is as mentioned free um what happens is every week or so they assign 10 of the 81 characters as free characters so you have a free and what they try and do is they try and get a balance between um like different character archetypes like mages tanks um sort of stealth characters assassins that sort of thing um so basically that every week um people who don't pay anything still have kind of like a cast of characters to to choose from um what happens when you uh win or lose a fight is you gain a currency called influence points um you don't get a lot of these i mean in my last win i got 226 because you gain um uh, uh, effectively a first win of a day bonus every uh, 20 hours, which is gives you a 150 IP. But for everything else, I've got something like 72 IP here for, for a loss. And then you can then use, you use this IP to buy runes for the previously mentioned rune pages, but you can also use the um, IP to buy um, characters. Um, and the characters cost quite a lot. The cheapest characters cost, I think it's 450, but the most expensive cost 6,300, which is quite a lot to earn over time. Um, now, it is possible to bypass this. Um, Riot have got a system called the Riot Points, um, which is basically a, a currency you can pay for to the rate of, um, 
let's have a just quick well, look. Well, the exact number isn't super important. It's about, yeah, six, $5 gets you 650 Yeah. And your average champion, uh, the more expensive champions cost 975 Riot points, that is. But there are some cheaper ones out there um, which cost uh, less, so say 260 in some cases, or 585 Um So essentially, like, the, the entire game can be played free. You just have your character selection is limited to 10 that are chosen by the developers at all times until you build up a stack of um, influence points which you can then use to unlock, say, your favorite character out of the 10 or something. Um, I myself, um, I when I joined the game, I enjoyed it a lot, so I decided to invest in um, Riot points to unlock characters that, uh, that I enjoyed playing as. I didn't want to go through the uh, sort of the, um, the time of playing many, many games to unlock a selection of characters that I would enjoy playing as. Um, I actually went as far... Um, I play League of Legends on the US servers, and I went as far as importing a cheap copy of the, the, the box copy um, off Amazon, which unlocks... Quite a fair selection of characters, actually. I think there's some like 35 characters or something that are unlocked by buying the box copy. Mm. And I got it for fifteen, twenty dollars, something like that. Mm, yeah, just yeah. pretty good value, actually, considering the, the the amount of stuff it unlocked. I think it's about 20 characters. Thinking about it, actually, um, it only seems like more because I've unlocked more characters kind of over time because I've been playing for yeah. a little while. Um, I don't remember how much it was. I had since I had the box copy. I think it was uh, yeah, probably twenty sounds about right. Which I think these. I think for showing, uh, you know, uh, um, for wanting to support Riot in um, making what I think is a really good game. I thought twenty twenty dollars and the, the the small microtransactions personally is yeah. is completely worth it. Yeah. I mean, th- there is a kind of more there's a more premium thing at play with. Um, Every every champion comes with basically a, a basic skin, so you know a, a default look, as it were. Right. Um, but um, you can buy uh, other skins for the characters, uh, and though you can only buy those with riot points. So if uh, there are some downright silly ones there, I mean Cho'Gath, who is a kind of giant. Um, Eldritch Abomination thing from the Void does have a um, a rather fetching um, suit and his gentleman Shogath skin, which is hilarious. Now the the game itself has been doing uh, pretty pretty well. It's, it's pretty well received uh, for the most part. In fact, I think I probably gave it the low score of everybody just because of the way RP Gamer's scoring system works and the the fact that I just didn't wasn't super excited about the the value for the amount paid at the time. But for a free game, you know, absolutely fun. Um, it, it, I think they regularly have between half a million and a million players uh, online. Uh, mm. um, during the evenings, during the evenings, say, the evenings that they release, um, the evenings that they release new champions usually cause login queues on the American servers, at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've released a new character. The people who um, the, the the new characters are very rarely free until about three weeks after they've been released. But there's usually a, a selection of players who basically go out and buy the characters as soon as they're out yeah so i mean um, it's a, I, I mean hell i i'm not i'm not completely immune from that myself i've done it at least twice <laughs> they said uh, actually the exact uh, statistic it says here uh, from july 2011 news release uh, league of legends has over 15 million registrations and averages over more than 1 million players a day with the number of concurrent users online at any given time peaking at half a million so 
Um, so that that's pretty cool. Uh, it's very popular, and it's very popular for a reason. I walk into the game store. I do Pathfinder in a game store every week. I walk in for my pen and paper sessions, and they always have a land set up. And nine times out of ten, they're playing League of Legends. Mm. So definitely a really, really fun game. Uh, we've given you a, a pretty decent overview here. Uh, if you play League of Legends, we would love to hear about your experiences, your best strategies, your character developments, uh, your best character builds, I should say. Feel free to write at uh, forums.rpgamer.com and let us know and share some of your stories with Mr. John, who is also very deep into it and can actually speak intelligently back and forth about the, the newer strategies or whatnot. Every once in a while, I load it back up. It's nice. I love having free-to-play games because you can just jump. Uh, you can jump back into them, see what's new, play a few rounds, and uh, and go back into it whenever you want without feeling like that you're having to pay. That's a great thing about the microtransaction system. Mm. You, you, and the, the the versus bots mode means that technically you never have to face another team of enemy players if you really don't want to. And that's really big. That... I mean, I myself have only just got back into um, playing against other people after a long period of time playing against bots. And, and that's important. You know, that's that's huge. You got a lot of I've, you know. Whenever I talk to friends about uh, trying out something like this, in fact, I was just talking with uh, with Roy last night when we were talking about our podcast, and he's waiting for the new Dota that's coming out. But I, you know, I told him he really should give this one a try, and he was concerned. Well, I need to go through tutorials. I wouldn't be ready. Da, 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 da. And I said, well, aside from the fact that the matchmaking is going to try its best to hook you up with other inexperienced players, yeah, you can play against uh, you can play against bots or do practice sessions. And it's really, really great. I know in World of Warcraft, the game, I think the game also uh, there was a, a tutorial that came with the um, the original version of the game, yeah. which was like a kind of one lane tutorial. But what they uh, what they have done now is they've built um, effectively an advanced tutorial, which loads you into the uh, the main five v five arena and kind of teaches you a bit about advanced strategies, like how to hide in bush, for example, bushes, <laughs> for example, and and stuff like that. You know, kind of. Of, um, so it's so sort of gradually leading you into kind of like the more advanced strategies that you need to use. Right. So you don't kind of come a complete cropper against a, a team of skilled players. Yeah. And there are some pretty good ones out there. I mean, in my last game, they had a really good team and it hurt. Yeah. It burned so oh, much. Don't scare all the people off now. Um, I know. <laughs> but, I mean, that was one, that's a really cool thing I like about, you know, StarCraft as well. You can always get with some friends uh, and just beat up on a bunch of bots. And that's very low, unless obviously you pick the intermediate bots. <laughs> that's going to be more low-key, and it's a very relaxing environment just to hang out with some of your friends and goof off while you're learning the game uh, and getting used to it because these types of games they really do require uh, practice not only for the strategy side but also for the RP the character building side because you need to see how different characters play out how different builds play out uh, different combinations of items and skills play out so that that, that takes a lot of time there's a reason why these types of games are sometimes called esports games uh, they require well, I, some practice I was, I was watching um, I, I didn't get the uh, the main games like the the ones that attracted the huge crowds, but at Gamescom they were holding the um, ES the Euro- Europeans East, uh, East or whatever the eSports League or whatever um, were held holding I think the finals of the League of Legends season one tournament, mm-hmm. um, which brings to get brought together the uh, American finalists from their tournament, um, which I remember also watching. I think it's called uh, and there's something uh, DreamHack involvement somewhere and uh, like the 
European teams for a big kind of frag down. Um, several of the matches have been uploaded to YouTube, and they, uh, you know, with with full commentary, and they 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 make for. Even though I'm probably, by comparison, a complete scrub, they do still make for some pretty fun watching. You know, just just to see how pe- uh, you know how people play the game at that kind of level. Oh um, yeah, it it really does. I mean, I when I was flying, to, I I didn't think it would be so entertaining. But when I was flying to uh, Korea uh, on the way to Indonesia to visit my wife's relatives, uh, I, they just happened to have StarCraft tournaments on the little airplane television thingy. And yeah, you'd be surprised how quickly time flies by if you're anywhere interested in those games even if you're a noob so to speak uh yeah they're very very interesting to watch and you learn a, a few things and i i've used that against other people before <laughs> mm, yeah no i i i think it's um i mean you probably won't fare so well if you try to directly emulate what you see you've got to kind of sit down and see the reasoning behind the action not just copy it verboten right um but you know that's kind of half the fun is just trying out new strategies and, um, you know, winning, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely, I think we both agreed that, I mean, for a free game that's supported a microtransaction model, you know, don't hesitate. Go ahead, download this. Give it give it a shot. And don't just play one. Play play a few rounds. Call up one of us if you want some partners to play with you and get you into the game. But um, you know, definitely jump into it. Give it a try. And you might find yourself spending a few bucks to unlock some of those really cool characters or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've, I've, done, I've done that. I've I've done that quite a lot. Well, one last thing, and then we need to head off and let uh, we got one more segment. Uh, uh, John, uh, have you heard anything about this new Dota that's coming out? Uh, Dota Two. Yeah. Um, there was a bit of it at Gamescom, but I must admit I was mostly distracted by um, uh, Riot Stan showing off uh, <laughs> Dominion. So I'm kind I, of I don't know. I just kind of curious I, how it's going to be since it's you know it's got such a pedigree of having the original creators or whatever have you behind it. How will it stand up to League of Legends that's now been out for a couple of years and has had time to kind of have a head has kind of has a head start? I think it it's tricky. Um, Dota 2 obviously has kind of like the, the it's it's like the brand recognition as it were. Mm. Um, whereas obviously League of Legends, having been around, um, has kind of like um, the, the the quality of life improvements as it were. Now I think Dota 2 will do very well, and League of Legends is already competing with another Dota style game, Heroes of New Earth. Um, I it I don't it's not going to be a case of um, uh, like Dota 2 killing League of Legends. I don't think that'll happen. Um, but a bit of me thinks that Dominion uh, was created as a kind of um, way of keeping uh, League of Legends kind of interesting and fresh and still keep people coming back to the traditional 5v5 normal games as well as the ter- you know the Dominion-style games. So I, I I'm not sure. I mean, I think I've spent enough money on to to, to stick around with League of Legends. Uh, <laughs> Dota 2 maybe maybe sh- may appear shinier, but I'm I'm kind of um, it's like I know how to play characters in League of Legends. I probably don't know how to play characters in Dota 2. It'd be like starting almost like starting from you know fresh. Exactly. And I and I assume that the you know the items may be similar, but they probably act completely differently mm. to how how I could expect. So. Right. And kind of like uh, discussions I was having earlier about possibly, you know, if somebody asked me why I didn't try out a different MMO other than World of Warcraft. <laughs> but mm. that's a whole other conversation where I may even talk about that a little bit during the final lap. But before we get to the final lap, we... We need to say that Mr. Dan Allen... Ha- 
Oh yeah, Mr. Dinald is Mr. Din Doohickey has left the building. You have your name for him. I have my name for him. <laughs> we shall see which one he prefers. Well, I don't care what he prefers. <laughs> no, the fans cry out for original names. You know, names that stand out, not names that they can't ever spell, much less remember. That's why we're talking with John Calendar, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna take, we're gonna take a little bit of a break, listen to some more fantastic music, and we'll be right back with Mr. Minky's Important. What do you have lined up for us tonight? <laughs> well, there's a series that I've mentioned in the Import Corner before, and I had the opportunity to play... I think it's actually the most recent entry in the series, even though it's the third and the fourth came out many years before it. What's the story? This is Tengai Makyo 3 Namida, which was originally being developed for the PCFX console in 1995. You've never heard of it because it never came out in America. It bombed so quickly that pretty much all the games on it were either scrapped or promptly ported to something else. And this one in particular, which was originally slated for a 1995 release, went through Red Entertainment development hell for a decade until it was finally released on the PS2 in 2005 and never came out in English. Now, as for ser the goofiness of earlier Tengai Makyo games, or later, whichever you want to call it, because the fourth game did come out before the third, this one is not nearly as goofy, partly because we're not talking about a crazy alternate universe America where General Custer commanded the Alamo as it stormed through Texas. But it does have some goofiness, such as a character named Tsugumi who wields dual pistols and dresses like a villainess on the 60s Batman show. And your villains are a very interesting lot. You're, you start with a really weird little guy named Ichimotsu who has an enormous nose and likes to possess people. And he is an incredibly annoying boss to fight because he likes to summon piles of enemies, and he will then hide among those enemies, and until you have killed all of them, he will not reappear. Then you fight Shane, who she's fairly basic as a villainess. She just turned a whole continent into a desert. But she has an awesome theme, and when you fight her, she actually turns into a snake and uses an acid rain on you to drain your health throughout the battle. And then you fight Idaten, who dresses like Bob Marley, has a tattoo on his tongue, and apparently has the power of super speed, because when you fight him, landing hits is really hard, until he takes the time to apply a bird mask straight out of Mayan culture onto his head, when he, for some reason, gets easier to hit. And then you fight the evil Niggy, who wears an outfit that makes him look kind of like a cross between the fly and Frankenstein monster, and uses electricity and is a real jerk. And then you fight Tauri, who has what looks like an old-style phone on her head. And when you fight her, she actually summons a horde of moths, which you must remove one by one in order to actually damage her before she summons the horde of moths back again. 
And you eventually fight Madara, who looks like a withered old crone floating on a platform, and he performs a very strange spell, which finds you fighting on the ceiling for a while, and actually reverses the strength of your attack so that weak attacks are now powerful, powerful attacks are now weak. And then he turns into a spider after you beat him and uses other weird things like making weak magic suddenly really powerful and strong magic incredibly weak. And the final adversary is a fiend named Zeku, who is actually really powerful. Do not take this guy lightly. You need to use the status spells that will up his, your st- party's d- abilities and down his or else he can and will rip you apart even at super high levels i was in the high 70s and he still ripped me apart and the final b- boss is a two-phase battle involving first the evil priestess himiko who takes a lot of damage but can also dish it out she will rip you apart unless you use those status uppers and the final boss is the power of fire which takes place on a battlefield that seems to be a combination of both tron and the matrix while it summons little birdies it's not as hard as Himiko. Now, the combat of this game is actually rather interesting. It's your standard turn-based affair, sort of. Because instead of facing four, five, six enemies, you will routinely face enemies in the double digits in this game. But your attacks will not affect a single adversary. They will have splash damage against anything close by. And it's quite fun seeing your characters just slash down a dozen enemies with one hit. That's pretty cool. As a game that was originally being developed in the 90s, it uses a lot of gameplay devices that would have fit in much better with that time than it did with the mid-PlayStation years, such as random battles and a need to grind. But assuming you're fine with that, this is an incredibly long and deep game. I am not the fastest gamer around, but it took me over 100 hours to finish this thing, and I don't think that can be trimmed down too much. Each continent is distinct. There are a lot of strange enemies, such as something that looks to have the head of a duck and the body of an ostrich or gigantic centipedes. No, those aren't remarkable. Um, The graphics don't exactly make the PlayStation 2 push its engine as hard as it can, but they're very distinct and they're very varied. You will rarely see the same thing twice in this game. And it has a couple of nasty puzzles, including one where 16 musical notes are played and you have eight musical boxes that each play four notes and you have to link up the correct musical notes in the right sequence before you can get by. That took me a long time to to actually beat. Or this is not a, this is not a game you can easily play without some Japanese knowledge because you will need to know some kanji. There is very little katakana and hiragana used in this game, and if you don't know the abilities that you are using in combat, then this is going to take a while, especially for one part where you need to go buy 99 units of water. And if you don't know what the character for water is, then you will be stranded there forever. There is a fact. It is very, very helpful, but it assumes you have some basic Japanese knowledge, and if you don't have it, well, you're kind of screwed. Um... The soundtrack is awesome. Most of it is orchestral with lots of heavy percussion. Sounds very Japanese. And the opening theme, oddly enough, in a game that demands that you know some Japanese, is in English sung by Sarah Brightman. Don't ask me why. Oh, and Manto, the series villain who was the king of Lake Tahoe in the fourth game. He's back. He's trying to make an amusement park to celebrate his villainy in this game. You will fight him several times, and in one of those fights, he will launch into a five-minute spoken monologue that reflects upon the, the, the history of his character throughout the series and why he feels he has been gypped. I didn't understand much of it, but it was unique. I The only real complaints I can make about this game are it can be fairly hard. You don't get any way to revive people until at least two-thirds, more like three-quarters of the way through the game. 
And again, heavy Japanese knowledge necessary. I liked its magic system where people don't learn spells by leveling. Instead, you go around the, the world and visit these mysterious hermits who will each give you a spell, which you then equip to a character. And the character, once that character has used the spell a certain number of times, which is clearly visible, the character will learn that spell, which will then make it cost less magic points, will not require it to be equipped, and the spell's effectiveness will be improved. It gets to take a while later in the game when you acquire spells that require 60, 75 repetitions to learn, but it's still an interesting system, and I liked it. I also like that even though you eventually get nine characters, all of them earn experience from every battle, and the system is like Final Fantasy X. If you feel like switching people in, go ahead and do that. You can do it. Uh, I think... Oh, yes, there is an interesting element to this game. The boxes of Eternal Pandemonium. A few of the dungeons have these strangely colored treasure chests, and if you open them, you will be faced with 1,000 enemies, and you must kill all of them if you want to acquire the item within. I did that once. Even though you run across 25, 30 enemies per phase of the battle, it took me almost an hour to finish... And I don't necessarily recommend you do it because it, well, it's not really worth it. But it's an interesting feature in a game full of interesting features. But it's not nearly as zany as a game where you have to shut down the, te the television network that is supplying Atlanta so that you can fight the fiendish TV man in his headquarters that is overlooking Atlanta after labeling you a terrorist on broadcast television. Still, it's a fun game. And if you are able to play imports on your PS2, I recommend checking it down. Sounds pretty cool. It's also not particularly expensive. I think I got it for about 10 bucks, so price needn't be an impediment. To play on your PlayStation, you'd have to mod it, wouldn't you? There is a way to play it without modding it. It requires... Actually, I'm not sure if I should say this. Can we? Can I say this? Oh, uh, we say everything else on the show. All right. You have to tape back the uh, the little bar that comes out to uh, encircle the disc in the machine. You have to put a little bit of tissue paper into the hole that is closed when you close the disc cover. And you need to actually open up the machine and put a little tape over a certain gauge. It's easy to find that if you just look up playing imports on your PS2. Put some tape over that, and then you can play imports with the addition of... Uh what do I have? I have the the Magic 3 disc, which you put in, you, it spins around, gears your your PS2 to play an import game, then you take out that disc and put in the import disc, and it'll work just fine. It's kind of cumbersome, which is why I don't play many imports on the PS2, because it takes a long time and it's a pain in the butt, but it can be done. It's an easy 25-step process. <laughs> there you go. See, it's, it's already down to only 20 steps. All right. We're improving it with every day. <laughs> cool beans. All right. Well, we're going to take one more break, and we're going to wrap this up with a lengthy final last lap. <laughs> we'll be right back. Some comments on the boards this week about our Legend of Zelda 
show, Mr. Minky. Why, yes, we did. Would you like to field some, or should I field some? I like to kick it off, because I put out a challenge out there that if uh, someone had beat Zelda, or at least really tried really hard to get through it without uh, actually using a hint guide uh, to relay that story, and Mr. Ombris did an admirable job of meeting my challenge straight head on. He said, Phil, you asked for it. Here it is, my tale of playing the first Zelda on the Nintendo without a hint guide. <laughs> I remember that I did play the game a lot. I was like 13 years old, having nothing better to do. With the game came a map of the world and some uh, blank squares with some blank squares in it too. Oh, that's right. It came with a map. I forgot about that. That was a really elaborate manual at the time. Oh, yeah. So I look for uh, so I look for all by myself. I burn every tree with the darn blue candle that you can only use once per screen until you get the red one in the sixth dungeon. Uh, but it was too late. Uh, I had already done the whole map. Burn a tree, wait to see if anything happens, change the screen, go back. <laughs> Once he found a tree, he wrote it down on his big, huge map. Uh, even drew uh, on the blank squares on the map so it would be complete. He also has a map of every dungeon from the first and the second adventure. In each one, he bombed every wall and did save a lot of keys that way. Um, since you can, of course, use keys on any dungeon, no matter where you get them from. So after he gained all this information, he knew where to burn and to bomb and all that other fun stuff. Uh, he could gather money really, really fast, get his first ring update before even the first dungeon, um, and and that sort of thing. He said uh, the hardest part of the game was the beginning, since you have nothing, and uh, the bosses, for the most part, quite easy. Uh, the dungeons were harder. As f- I think he's like talking about. Let me start. Over. I think on that line, he's talking about the second quest because uh, we were talking a little bit about what the differences were. Um, so. Um, he says that he didn't think that the hidden forest uh, was, or the maze forest was that hard. Uh, it was something like go twice left up twice. Yeah, uh, it wasn't twice particularly left. complicated, but it, it would take you a little time to figure out if you didn't have a hint because it does seem to just repeat over and over. I remember that part. Yeah. And he reminds us that if you want to start the second quest right off, you can just name your character Zelda. Um, but once you finish the game, your Link half his sword out to show you that the save is the second adventure. Oh, that's right. When you save under second adventure, your character on the saving screen has a little sword in his hand, so you know it's the second adventure. Um, so yeah, for him, it wasn't as hard because he had already mapped everything out. <laughs> that's some dedication, but that was that was how cool it was. And again, another parallel to uh, pen and paper RPGs, the fact that you'd sit there and you would map everything out. Uh, that's exactly what you do in some of these old school uh, D&D type games and whatnot. So, and a lot of early RPGs, especially dungeon crawlers. Yeah. And the Zelda 1 and 2, uh, if you have the 3DS, they're part of the Ambassador uh, game program. I believe somebody else left a comment about that. Uh, they don't have yet the instant save function. Normally with the virtual console games, uh, like if I got a Game Boy uh, game through the virtual console, it allows me to save that game at any point in time, very much like an emulator would. Uh, with these Ambassador games, which are all, all these NES games they gave us, including the first and second uh, Zelda, they don't have that implemented just yet. There was a note that they were hopefully going to have that by the end of this month. I'm waiting for it because just like uh, I think uh, I forget who it was that left the comment on the board, but 
but uh, I think it's Shaman. Yeah, Shaman. I don't plan to touch uh, touch those Zelda games until I can do the instant save thing. I'm I'm too impatient and and don't have enough free time to do things <laughs> over and over again. So I like my save states, but you have to be careful because you they only give you one. Go back to the days when you had to hold down the reset button on the NES to make sure it didn't erase instead of save. Oh, you know what was funny was I think you were asking me about saving in Zelda 2 and uh, and it had been so long since I played it I, I didn't remember it but uh, in Zelda 2 uh, there's two ways to save. The most popular way very similar to Zelda 1 you die. Uh, get yourself killed some way somehow that's how you save the game. You get you, you go and you get yourself killed and that will that will it'll say do you want to save or continue you'll hit save and that's saving your game. Uh, it'll remember at least what items you got how many hard containers you got how many bosses you beat that sort of thing. Um, in Zelda 2 uh, I don't I don't know if you knew this or not. I, I'm guessing you did because either that or you're just being facetious. But in Zelda 2, apparently there was another way to save. You take the second controller, you press this combination of buttons that you would never ever figure out, and it automatically allows you to save right there on the spot. And I only figured this. Play Zelda too. I don't remember that. Oh, uh, okay. I thought maybe you read it or something. But because uh, I, because I'm sitting there on the Ambassador games, and I just loaded up Zelda two real fast, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, how do you save in these Zelda games? It's been so long. And I'm sitting there looking for the save button, hitting start, everything else. No, none of that works. Um, I had to. I think I looked up an FAQ, and they said take the second there controller. There aren't that many buttons on the NES controller to fiddle with. It, what, like they could have somehow just stuck it in select or something, or select up, or I. I don't know hit start a menu pops up i there had to be a million different easier ways to do this than taking the second controller and pressing a b select and holding your nose at the same time but that's what you have to do uh and, and what's interesting is on the emul is on the is on the 3ds i was wondering why this was there but if you press the shoulder button it switches you to the second controller because of course you know with the ds you only have one controller the, the you know so that's why so you can use the second controller to properly save your game if you don't want to just run out and die so keep that in mind but I'll wait for my instant saves because I don't like losing experience when I die so, or when I ever want to save. <laughs> I think that, that limitation of with, with, uh, with Zelda 2 where when you reload a save game or you die, your experience starts over again. Uh, I think that's still in there. So, Hombre has also said that he's not going to buy the CDI. What? He's not sure why, but something tells me that he won't enjoy those games. I can't imagine. They are such masterpieces. And, I mean, you and I already discussed this in detail last show. What is so awesome about those games? Ombres, you're making a big mistake, my friend. Yeah, they're not even JRPGs. They never came out in Japan because the CDI never came out in Japan. So that means they're Western RPGs. This is the perfect gateway. Absolutely. What a way to start off. You know, if you've got those friends who are diehard JRPG fans, they've never jumped into a Western RPG for what a better way to start them out than with the CDI versions of Zelda. Exactly. It shows how the West would handle it. Yeah, it shows how <laughs> now, Kisaki Project said, is it wrong list- that listening to this really makes me want to play the CDI Zeldas? Call it morbid curiosity. I don't know why morbid curiosity needs to be the appropriate phrase. Just curiosity is enough. Yeah, I, I think that's actually very healthy curiosity, you know? I mean, the right. curiosity can open up doors that you never knew existed before. As we all know, a game's value is directly linked to its price. And particularly with Zelda's Adventure, the price is through the roof. So clearly, it must be one of the best games ever made. Absolutely. It's all about supply and demand. And when a game is really good, demand's really high, the price goes up with it. Nice. 
Uh, anywho, uh, we seem to have a lot more comments about those games than we did about the the DX or whatnot, uh, the Link's Awakening that we also talked about. Yeah, and I don't think we had any comments that directly addressed... Oh, we had a few that talked about A Link to the Past, but none that addressed it and nothing else. Yeah, and, and Link's Awakening... And, and Silktail even said that I might be mixing up A Link to the Past's bosses. Well, that I should concede the possibility... <laughs> I, could, I, had, I couldn't tell you. Once, but it hasn't been recent, so all right. Maybe I mixed up the boss that needs to be hammered on the back with the one that needs to have the fire and ice wands deployed to kill its separate heads. Maybe I did that. It could happen. Hmm. Well, I couldn't correct you if I wanted to, my friend. The only one I remember was Ganon. For some reason, I forgot all the other ones, so I need to go back and... Wait, Ganon the game? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I need to go back and play that one again. Anywho, um, so, yeah, so leave your comments at board. This isn't for, I guess I said forum.rpgamer earlier in the show. It's board.rpgamer.com. Leave your comments, um, or you can write me directly, jcservant at rpgamer.com, and I will be happy to read your comments on the air, presuming, of course, that I agree with what you write. If I don't agree, I will simply crumple it up and throw it away, unless it's funny. Yes, if someone sends you a message that, oh, I don't know, proclaims Hoshigami to be better than Final Fantasy Tactics, what might you do in that case? <laughs> oh, the evil things I would do in that case. Oh, the painful and evil things I would do in that case. Oh, I would simply have to change every instance of the word hate to love and love to hate, because clearly he's mixing up his use of the English language. i just going to have to help the poor guy out. Or what might you say if someone praised Legend of Dragoon to the skies and said that it was quite possibly the best game on the PS1? <laughs> well, I would I would recommend that he try a game that is almost as good. It's called Zelda for the ZDI. He just he needs to try it. It'll just totally change his viewpoint. Shoot. Well, let's uh, let's talk about our updates or updates or whatever we whatever we call it when we talk about what we want to talk about for the week. Um, so, or what yeah, we can play. It's going to be a lot shorter than usual since everybody's gone. Everybody, now. Everybody's kind of left. They kind of left us all alone. Well, yeah, that's a shame. Sometimes people can't hang up past midnight like you and I do, Mike. Midnight Eastern, anyways. Um, so <laughs> Sam not stay with us when she's sick and all. That just makes no sense. Yeah, that's just rude. well. That's the problem with being a marshmallow, though. You're all soft and gushy, and yeah, you don't stay around for very long. <laughs> so, in other words, you would not suggest bring her around flames. Ooh, yum! Burnt marshmallows are best. <laughs> Never know. Anywho, um, I've been, I've, I've still been playing. Uh, I, I spent another dozen hours or so over the last couple of weeks in World of Warcraft. Uh, I, and I tell you, I've been playing the Cataclysm, the revamp levels between one and sixty to get a character uh, up to run with a friend in his guild. And I will say that there's a reason why Blizzard's in a lead on these things. That they have really redone those beginning zones. I, I had done those a number of times in the past uh, when I first, the game first came out and later on with Burning Crusade and whatnot. They've really tightened up the quest and dare I almost dare say it, it's it's very close to being as tight as a single player experience if you're into doing, you know, focusing on doing the 
quest or whatnot. I didn't spend a lot of time running with other groups in dungeons uh, because the quests were just just so much fun, and they just led one right into another, into another, into another, and had some pretty interesting storylines to go with them to boot. It, it's it's obviously not you know on the level of playing through Mass Effect, uh, but it is definitely a more compelling if you're into doing quests. It's a more compelling single player experience uh, than it was in the past. So really, really enjoying those. They really line up really well, and uh, the flow is much easier to work with. Uh, you don't feel like you're doing as much FedExing. Uh, the quests just go one right into the other. And many times, if you do have to run a long way back, there's some sort of teleporter to get you back, or the quest giver pops up in front of you, <laughs> you know, through a little window or something, so you don't have to do all, a lot of running around like a chicken with your head cut off. So I, I was, I was gaining experience so fast because of the fact that all these things were lined up so well. I think I was knocking out a level every hour, which is you know easy gravy in an mmo so um just really having a lot of fun with that for the most part i didn't have a whole lot of free time though for the last uh, couple of weeks other than that i just still playing my pathfinder on uh, on the weekends how about you mr minky well just today i watched a fascinating movie called jindabine which deals with a woman who was murdered in an australian town and her body was dumped into an isolated fishing area found by four men who once they found it went on with their fishing trip for the whole weekend before reporting it to the police. And for some reason, people don't seem to like that, especially since the woman was an Aboriginal, and that brings up issues of race that are unique to Australia, but kind of universal everywhere. But you don't want to hear me talk about movies. I just reviewed Radiata Stories, and for some reason, my review was actually positive. What? Get out. I that. And I just refi- received the review copy for Salada Robo, so you can look forward to me talking about that. I won't be able to review it until the day of its release, but I will have an, inter- an impression up sometime soon, once I have actually started playing it instead of um, devoting all my attention here. And what else? Well, we, we don't want to hear me go off on my cinematic rants because they would encompass an entire podcast by themselves. Yeah, that's what you should do. You should do a movie podcast next. Yes, I can talk all about how the 1962 version of Day of the Triffids was a very strange film in which a happy ending was posited after 99% of the world's population was blinded because seawater apparently kills the monsters, which is a very stupid plot development that makes no sense, especially since it takes place on an island with a lighthouse on it where they should have been slapped by waves all the time and should have died long before the climax. But you know what? I think I just went off on a subject that is ever so slightly off-kilter. off You know what? There is one cinematic uh, experience that you and I can agree upon, Mr. Minky. Green Lantern? (laughs) I mean, agree that we like. (laughs) (laughs) You mean the Rift Tracks treatment of a certain series that involves very sensual, supernatural beings? Well, yes, that too. But I was thinking of something a bit briefer and freely available on the internet for all RP gamers to go and watch. Are you referring to Mr. James Rolfe? I am. Yes, apparently he just managed to acquire a copy of Nintendo World Championships, which if I ever did, I would uh, be able to pay off all my loans, I think. (laughs) Even Zelda's Adventure and Panzer Dragoon Saga and other noteworthy games pale next to the price a gold version of that thing demands. And so, therefore, it must be the hottest thing since a volcano boiling over with lava. It's gold. It is. It is. It brings a tear to my eye. It has stickers on the front. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I have to do a plug-in for that. I, I can't believe how many gamers I talk to who haven't seen the Angry Video Game Nerd before. I, I, I can't even imagine what, what my life would be like had I never seen those. 
<laughs> I left you speechless on that one, huh, Mr. Meeky? What am I supposed to add? You can't add to it. That's just how good it is. Oh, you know what? I can add to it. <laughs> it's nice that he's actually a filmmaker and knows what he's doing in these videos instead of just slapping random stuff together. And I appreciate the making of video he made a couple months ago, which was very informative. Indeed. Um, and you know what else I'll add to that? RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, <laughs> your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home database gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant and rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. Uh, don't forget to follow us on twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister shows, RPG Cast and RPG Sanctum, all at rpgamer.com. And we thank you all for, for listening. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a... Nah, I'm going to save that for next week. Mr. Miki, oh, no. what? We, we didn't even tell people what we're going to be doing next time. Oh, yeah. That's a good thing to do. Woo, it is late. All right. So next week, we're RPG Backtrack number 54 is called Two-Dimensional Thinking. We're going to be talking about some of my favorite games, uh, Vanillaware games, in all of its grand 2D beauty. We're going to be talking about Odin Sphere, Grim Grimoire, and Muramasa, the Demon Blade. Two of those three I played about 80% of the way through. I can never seem to quite polish off games. That's just my my hook. Uh, Muramasa is the one I really have. I got it because it's Vanillaware. It's gorgeous. And I popped in and I played it for a few hours, but I haven't actually got you know too deep into it. Twin, uh, my good friend Nathan. That's Mr. Twin Bahamut, right? Nathan Schlopener or something. <laughs> have, have you played any of these games? I will be playing Odin Sphere. Ah, very nice, very nice. And I will be rounding up people who are familiar with the others because otherwise, it's going to be kind of one-sided. It's going to be one-sided. I can speak. I can speak a pretty good length at the uh, first two, um, but yeah, Maramasa, I'll, I'll need some help with. Um, I'll try to put some time into it too, because it is a really cute game. So I'll pop that back into my Wii. <sighs> and that will be recorded on September the 20th. So look for that coming soon. All right. Did I forget anything else, Mr. Mickey? Uh, Maybe to wish upon a star. I don't know. When you wish upon a star. Sorry. That's how you scare away all the listeners. Mr. Mickey. By reminding them of Pinocchio. <laughs> Mr. Mickey, don't let me sing them to sleep. Why don't you <laughs> speech them to sleep? The Troy's library is quite diverse. Many games come off the worse. But Ready Auto Stories is a great effort, showing what can happen if the company puts out a spurt. Of fine characters, interesting locales, and good balance. Enough to keep you playing in a trance, until the days have passed you by, leaving you happy and not puzzled about why.
Still listening? Great. You're in for a little bit of a tr- little after-show treat here. Uh, before the show, um, I was chit-chatting with some of the others regarding a conversation that happened on RPG Sanctum on their last show, uh, specifically the conversation regarding Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, the opinions expressed there were a bit one-sided, and of course they were on the opposite side from where... I and a few other people stand, and we felt that it was only fair that the other side should be able to express their opinion as well. So consider this kind of a, a counterpoint to our very own RPG Sanctum sister show uh, in a little conversation regarding Final Fantasy Tactics. And uh, feel free to let us know your thoughts on this hot topic, as well as anything else you've heard here on the show today over at uh, rpgamer.com. Enjoy. A little bit, you know, if everyone's like the last show, I said Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, okay, I can under, I can totally respect that everybody has an opinion on Final Fantasy Tactics, and it doesn't necessarily need to agree with mine. I totally am okay with that. But when you're because of the format of the show, it's supposed to be kind of a head-to-head type of thing, and you have two people just slamming on tactics. And this is this is a really popular game for a good reason. You may not like it, but there are some strengths to the game that need to be discussed if you're going to get into this tete-a-tete about it. And apparently, after I don't know if you read the comments, but I wrote this long dissertation about the good things about Tactics and why it does work as a game. And the one of the people who was on the show, I forget which one, he wrote on there. He said, "You know what? I I felt the same way, Phil, but I didn't want to speak up on the show because." I didn't want to she cause an argument. She never speaks up. It drives me ballistic, and I yell at her half the time when I'm on a podcast with her. It's like, Cass, open your mouth. Was it? But was it? Was it? It was Cass? Cassandra. Did she write that comment? She was the one. Hmm. And I said to her, I'm like, you need to learn to open your mouth. If you don't agree with somebody, yeah. there's nothing wrong with asking them to stop their train of thought and saying. Look, I respectfully disagree because of such and such and such. Hey, and, and believe it or not, as long as it's done in taste, the audience likes confrontation. It, you know, especially that's the format of his show in some regards. It's regard. supposed to drive confrontation. Yeah, that's, you know, it's supposed to spice it up a little bit. So, yeah. Now, you know what? Um, I did listen to the bit about the tactics, and I thought that the opinion on it was a little stupid. I think the complaints were incredibly stupid for the most part. Oh, they it sounded like the person had never, never dealt with that type of a tactical game. Thank you. Because yeah. the battle system is so easy to figure out. It's so easy to build upon. Yeah. There's a reason why it's structured in such an easy-to-play way. Yeah, it really and is. And you can't fault it for that, I think that's one of the stupidest things to fault that battle system for. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's actually any flaws to that battle system. The only flaw I would argue for Final Fantasy Tactics is that some of the jobs are not as easy to figure out. Yeah. Like there's that are not incredibly um, easy to figure out, like the calculator. Not not the easiest one to figure out when you first start playing. Same with uh, the mime. Like There's certain classes that are not as well explained as they could be. All right. But that's not a fault of the battle system. That's not a fault of the way in which the battle system set up. That's a fault maybe in terms of um, outside of the actual battle system gameplay. Exactly. No, I'm I'm right there with you. In fact, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's just kind of that's, 
<laughs> that's kind of what I wrote in my dissertation. Is the only the only you know the only really major fault of that of that game was, in my opinion, from a tactic. I love tactical RPGs and strategy games and things like that. And the only thing that chapped my height a little bit was the fact that what you just said. Uh, some of the classes were hidden, locked. Uh, so unlocking them either required you to max out all the classes or start looking up facts, which is what I eventually did. And it's not a big deal. I did oh, same it. Here. And then, uh, and then, like you said, once you get that class, it doesn't explain very well exactly, you know, how it works. But if you sit there and fart around with it long enough, you'll figure it out. I could have done a better job in that area. I totally agree. Like I said, I, I'm never trying to be critical or harsh of my fellow coworkers, but Final Fantasy Tactics is just one of those games I don't get how people bitch and moan about it because it's just like, oh, but Sam, it's it's did, just didn't it's you, so great. Didn't you see that Otter gave it a full three out of five? Yeah, well, Otter's a moron. We've discussed that many a times. Yeah. Uh, you have to remember, he's in the special needs category of know-it-allism that I just kind of go, <laughs> you're silly. <laughs> and then I run away. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't get, uh, you know, because of the poor translation, I totally did not understand the story. But the gameplay, <laughs> yeah. the, the gameplay itself was compelling enough to pull me absolutely all the way through that game and i don't you know if you know me you know i don't finish too many games to completion uh but that was one and it didn't take uh, somebody said on that show i think uh, on sanctum that it was it took like uh, x number of hours it was like a big number like 80 or 100 or 120 i'm like no i swear it's not i clocked in i think i was around 50 or 60 and that was only because i was farting around with unlocking uh the cat yeah yeah, because I was farting around so much along my way. I, I I could see after you picked up some of those characters like Ulandu and whatever have you that you could just run with those characters, maybe job them up a tiny bit, but they did, they just squished everything in their way anyways. I I actually went out of my way to just use my handmade characters aside from the hero and uh, and build them up to, to play with the different job classes. And that's probably the only reason it took me as long as it did. Oh, and there's like I think this game is built all around exploring the classes too. I mean that's part of the the fun is is unlocking the classes and seeing what they do. Yeah. And then making your own ultimate team. Exactly. I mean, it's better that we have a game like Final Fantasy Tactics than defending a game like Luminous Arc. Uh. Which the person who complained about tactics is the per- is a person who likes Luminous Arc. And oh, Luminous Arc is an example of. It was not Cassandra, actually, in that case. I just remembered that she likes Luminous Arc. She loves Luminous Arc. No, if I'm not mistaken, the person complaining about tactics was Nathan. And Nathan likes Luminous Arc. And you know what? Luminous Arc is baby's first TRPG, and it's still done really badly. (laughs) Better to have some, you know, variety in your tactical gameplay with tactics than, you know... This whole crapola of I'm a witch and I'm stuck in the corner because I'm freaking useless. <laughs> Gosh, Sam, it's like you still remember me sending you the second game so that you could play it and experience its wonderful tactical variety for yourself. I know, I know. I know. D- just think back to how many types of battles there were in that game. There, one because Fatima, Fatima, and the ones where you fought Fatima and Josie, and the ones where you fought uh, the Beast King and Matthias. And Fatima. And I was like, God, God, this game. God, it hurts. Why does anyone defend this? I'm just saying, we've grown with tactical RPGs, and Tactics is a perfect example of 
how to make a very well-balanced tactical game for the most part. It had a couple battles that were a little unfair, but that was all in how you built your characters and how you handled the challenge. 